Warning, this program typically features respectful, nuanced, and well-informed commentary, strong language, obscure pop culture references, and spurious allegations. Why do you think you were targeted? I can just assume, I mean, I come really, really hard against 45. I come really, really hard against his administration. And I don't hold my tongue. We know of new methods of attack. Greetings and welcome back to another exciting installment of the Fifth Column Podcast. This is your almost weekly retort to the Sultan, the news cycle, the people that make it, and occasionally ourselves. I am Camille Foster. I do remarkable and important things that are absolutely indispensable for a place called Freethink. And I'm delighted to be here in this particular room, surrounded by these distinguished gentlemen. Michael Moynihan, who's national correspondent for HBO's Vice News Tonight, in the room. Uh, Matt Welch, who is the editor-at-large of Reason Magazine. He's one of two of those. I believe there's only two of you guys. So but fun. he is also in the room, which is great. And our very good friend, Anthony Fisher, who is the politics editor at Insider, also in the room. And I am in spectacular form. High off life, incredibly excited to be here with you gentlemen, and I'm wondering how the hell you guys are. <laughs> High off life? High off life. Can you declare yourself to be in good Why not? form? Uh, yeah, I can. Yeah, you can. Actually, I haven't you had any did. Adderall in he like two days. managed to get through what? the entire introduction yeah. without screwing up Fisher's job title, which is like a first in Yeah, I know. It's always delivered. Yeah, he's like minister oh, without portfolio I at always Business Insider. It. I always Wait, mean it. Wait, did you say no Adderall for two days? No Adderall for two days. What happened? Coulter. I don't know. I just kind of forgot it, actually. Uh, you know what I have been doing? Meditating. Been using the Headspace app, which brings me to a good point, everybody listening. Headspace. It is the, uh, I, there's not really. They better be money. It. I'm not actually going to yeah. do a Headspace ad. What the fuck? I really do use Headspace. Excuse me. Can I call a yeah. huge timeout here? Yeah. <laughs> Number one, Jesse's mullet is like being perp walked right now. <laughs> <laughs> do you have a live stream? Number two, I think maybe that's where the enthusiasm yeah, is coming yeah. from. Number, <laughs> number, <laughs> number two, seriously? Yeah. What happened to you? What do you mean? I saw you. Well, you weren't here last week. You were yeah. like on some, you know, s- crappy Skype connection <laughs> in quote unquote bed which you know was like in Port-au-Prince. Do you think yeah. he was chewing, <laughs> chewing cat? He was chewing cat in Somalia. And now he comes back and he's like, it's like a member of Moby Grape. He's like all <laughs> hippy dippy, like, hey man, using the app. The, 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 I, the I am a firm believer in meditation. That, meditation really? is enormously valuable. I won't go so far as Sam Hay to say it is the thing that will heal the world and bring us all together and fix all of our problems. But every time I do it, it feels valuable. And I mean, I think it's important to be present. So you just sit there and think... Nobody's racist. <laughs> Nobody's racist. You know what? Here's what I here's what yeah. I cha- charge you to do, Matt Welch. Download the Headspace app. No! Try it for yeah. yourself. First of all, download yeah. an app. Do you know what? I, I downloaded an app today, yeah. and I got on the train, and I listened to Phil Collins and Philip Bailey's Easy Lover four times in a row. <laughs> just, she's a kind of girl you dream of. It's just an app with that one song. It's one song. Did, yeah, did, yeah did, it's, did, called, it's called Easy, Easy Lover, Lover and app, yeah. it's made by <laughs> Philip Bailey, who, did, by the way, uh, is doing absolutely fuck all right now. So. He was on the Grammys, though. I really? Saw, there, he was... There was there was one performance. I think it was. Um, and he just was, wandered on stage. There was, there was fifty people <laughs> that Michael didn't McCullough. belong together, and he was one of them. Wow! Wow! Anyway, that's mm. you know Phil Bailey. It's well, Earth Wind Fire, kind of. Yeah. Well, well, maybe we should just get right into the shits. Should we do that? Or well, should... if, if I if I may, since we're oh. just to get into the yeah, shit. Yeah. Oh. Since Jesse Smollett is being perp walked any moment, apparently. I, I've, I I come bearing gifts to Camille Foster. Oh. With, oh. Yeah, with a certificate. Oh. There you yeah. go. Another certificate. Well, this is the thing. Yeah, <laughs> this is the thing. You know, we've done, we have done this bit before, but I am pleased to get it. Hold on. I now the thing about it is, this. this really does belong to to all of us. Moynihan, you mm. weren't in the room. 
room because you knew we were going to do that that day and you were afraid to be called out as a racist. Yep. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but everyone else yeah. present... I was, I was at the local library playing Pete yes. Seeger songs for children. <laughs> <laughs> and, 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 and crying. Correct. Crying yeah, about yeah. how terrible what happened yeah. to Jesse Small. This is was. land is Jesse's and, land. And, uh, you know, it's, this is 2019, yeah. people. This yeah. is where we are. Um, and we were here that night um, talking about this and saying explicitly that this seemed suspicious to us. Okay, so on Camille's thing, Camille, yeah. we're going to post that, right? Uh, so you can see Camille at the yeah, he's doing right now. <laughs> um, Camille, we should amend that in one way because Camille will remember this <laughs> is that none of us believed it and then one of us would say it. And so that, that is the award for being black enough to say it. <laughs> yes, and giving everyone else some cover in the room. Yeah. I went, I went well, first. I wasn't here. But... In fact, I don't even, I, a lot of times these shows kind of come together like organically, which is to say that there's a little bit of prep work that happens more and more frequently uh, to give you a glimpse behind the scenes. Anthony Fisher is doing a lot of the like organizing of stuff. Mm. Um, <clears throat> but on that particular day, I don't even know that the smaller thing was on the agenda. Like we may have talked about doing it, but I just kind of remembered that we probably ought to at some point, And I sort of wanted to, it was absolutely not and on the agenda. It. it was on our private text. Oh, there it is. Good. Yeah. So then, yeah. Cause I remember the private text that yeah. I sent you yeah. with a tweet from somebody I know uh-huh. who I totally hate. And I hate <laughs> this person even more. Um, and I sent you that tweet and I'll yeah. pull it up. And I just said, this is totally fake. <laughs> and it's just like, it doesn't make sense yeah, in any way, our, right? I have our, um, our um, oh, no. don't no, refer history. to premium, yeah. premium content. This is, I mean, honestly, no, just, we have to hey, stop that's referring a, to Hey, this. can we do that? That's a really right. good idea because, you know, I mean, usually what, it's like, oh, you don't, get, you don't get the commercials. I'm like, motherfucker, I skip your commercials. <laughs> <laughs> Two presses and one button. It doesn't do anything. Why don't we do that? That, that, uh, that premium content is that we show we we show our, our subscribers our week-long text feeds. Yeah, we, because we, all of you totally, guys want to get fired. Yeah. That's fine. Totally No, insane. I mean, they're going to be edited. Yeah, of course. Yeah. They're going to be really, I mean, heavily yeah, Honestly, I, I may have to edit this out. You don't understand how iCloud works, Matt. Yeah. Like, they can get to you. They will get Ooh. all of your things. Them. Yeah. Really? Yeah. yeah. All that Jeff stuff. The, it is yeah. the ideological fappening. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to get, you're gonna get well, it's ideological until they get to the dick pics, which yeah. will also be included in that. Oh, totally. They, they have to get it all. It's it's the it's first like Pokemon. They're like sitting looking at Camille's stuff, and it's like, do I publish the t- the, the text messages <laughs> about how the Jews are behind the slave trade, <laughs> and like the picture of um, you know Minister Khalil Muhammad or whatever, <laughs> uh, or the dick pics? Yeah, well, with the Jamaican flag tied well, you, around it. Lead, always lead with the dick pics. That's what I say. I've scrolled like like a, a bunch of times, and I'm still like four days back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and so it's many like 21 are, days back. Well, until you find it, let's go yeah, back let's really go quickly. Back. So, the Smollett situation earlier today, we discovered that they were in fact going to be bringing charges against him or something. Maybe Fisher, you can catch us up on what the hell is going on because yeah, it sounds like about five minutes ago there was a development. Yeah. yeah so. Earlier today, things were in motion, but we didn't know that an indictment was imminent. He hired Mark Garagos, who once represented Michael Jackson and still represents Colin Kaepernick as his Mm -hmm. attorney. I was just on uh, CNN with him, actually. And about 20 minutes ago, Mm -hmm. um, the Cook County District Attorney leveled uh, leveled an indictment against uh, Jesse Smollett. Apparently, investigators went and spoke to a family member of Jesse Smollett's, and based on that conversation, 
they decided to move forward with the uh, indictment. Oh wow. my God! Wow! And already, so the, gra- the grand jury. Could you imagine had- that conversation? It's like just fucking do it. Seriously, <laughs> this guy's such a psycho. I mean, you, y'all ain't know that he was lying. <laughs> he was lying. I mean, it was yeah. so obvious. We yeah. all knew in, he was in lying. My, in my, that in Nigerian family, accent. Yeah. That's not an. Well, oh, right. Jesse yeah. Smollett isn't Nigerian. Yeah. In my family, yeah. they call it they're doing a Jussie, <laughs> <laughs> pulling a Juss. That's amazing. Oh my god! I just want to point out that looking through our group yeah. texts, it's like this unbroken string. Covington, 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 <laughs> Ralph Northam, Ralph Northam, yeah. Ralph Northam, blackface, blackface, blackface. Pretty soon we're going to get to it. I don't think I involved myself in the blackface one at all. I was a bit too bored. But I did pull out um, um, John Strauss's uh, book from the late 2000s called Black Like You, hmm. which, is a, which is a history of uh, blackface. And he's pretty interesting and pretty good. But yeah, so what's going, what are they charging him with? Uh, Got to get that. Dead, is that filing, filing a false re- uh, police report? Yes. 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 Report. Which, which is a class, class four felony. It's class right. four felony. You could do three years, yeah. if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. Um, but so I'm this, sure the sentencing guidelines are nothing close to three years. Three years I is probably. I wouldn't think that's so. How it usually is. I mean, he, he should probably just pay back the money <laughs> that it's cost the Chicago Police Department, <laughs> who should be busy not solving murders <laughs> instead of uh, solving this case. I, I mean, the, there's the clearance a, rate has got to be abysmal in Chicago now. I don't know what what the number is, but it's it's almost certain below 20 percent is it must be there was a uh, I, I can't say for certain but there was a uh twitter thread that was getting a lot of play fish and i were talking about it before uh, we started uh, recording by andy nigo however you pronounce mm-hmm. his last mm-hmm. name uh i think he's associated with quillette but he mentioned he uh 10 or 12 kind of hoax stories some of which we've talked about i think here so so many uh yeah. there and what was interesting <clears throat> in looking at them all is uh that nobody in there really uh, got any kind of uh punishment uh, for uh, uh, admitting that they made stuff up or <clears throat> not having uh, uh, evidence to back it up or anything like that, um, uh, no one had gotten charged. So when this, when it became kind of clear, I think the, uh, was it Allah Pundit or someone like that uh, tonight uh, on Twitter said something like uh, the whole Jesse Smollett thing is uh, like a 12 hour miniseries in which you know a whodunit miniseries, which you know who did it like in the first 10 minutes. Yeah, they didn't uh, even it, head fake you. Uh, it kind of, yeah, you sort of felt it was <laughs> coming like, this It's way. like Poirot in the first scene. You're like, okay, it's not that guy because it's obviously that guy. This is like the one where it's obviously that guy through the whole thing. But uh, but I had just assumed that um, despite, you know, obviously all of Chicago's political class was rallied. I mean, R- R- Rami Manuel was sitting there and giving long uh, speeches like this. So everyone was paying attention to Chicago. I still thought you're not going to get charged because people don't get charged. You can level false accusations all the time. And about the worst that you're going to get is going to be on the other end of a lawsuit if you accuse someone in, in particular of uh, a bad thing. So Which really, he seemed willing to do. When they, when they, this is a point. Yeah. The, he the, was willing to. The interesting to, thing is yeah. that when he was told, informed that they had two suspects, mm-hmm. um, he was willing to go down to the police department yeah. and provide some testimony. And by so the way, surprise when you open innocent that door people to and jail. it's two jacked Nigerians. <laughs> so it's a felony count Cunts. of disorderly yeah. conduct. What's that? Oh, that's the, that's the charge? Yeah. Disorderly huh. conduct. Huh. Law enforcement officials said a grand jury had decided that Mr. Smollett falsely reported being attacked in a case that quickly drew a national attention and charged him with a felony count of disorderly conduct. Huh. Okay. That's weird. It must be one of those. Like, well, the, there's I a wasting a police time the, uh, uh, thing, thing too and falling, falling – uh, yeah, the, false and so the Chicago police said that they were investigating him for filing a false police refo- report, which is a class four felony. But this is something else. Maybe it's fold, folded thing. into it. Who knows? Yeah. OK, I, yeah. I want to stop the conversation here because this is a pop quiz for the sure. four of us in this room. Sure. OK, but also 
for our listeners. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Imagine a, a nonstop group text among the people in this room. Yes. <laughs> that goes Covington to Ralph Northam eventually. Why are we talking <laughs> about this? I know. Sorry. Uh-huh. Uh, who is the first to express doubts about Jesse Smollett? Me. I say Moynihan. Probably Moynihan. Anthony Fisher. Anthony Fisher. <laughs> really? Really? What did Fisher say? Uh, I think I was even scared on the group text. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Jeez. That's Those things go out of order. You're all scrambled. Yeah. Are you sure? I don't know. Tell me. Tell so can, can I read this? Am I going to get Jeff yeah, Bezos? Well, I don't so, know. It's not live. So the story goes like this so far. He just landed in Chicago from New York, went out at 2 a.m. to get a Subway sandwich, was walking outside on the phone with his manager in sub-zero weather when two white guys wearing masks poured bleach on him, put a noose around him, and yelled, MAGA country. Did I miss anything? Mm. A. So that's first? Mm. That's the first one. That's the first mention. Uh, it's a light skepticism. It. Yeah, that's light skepticism. That's a light skepticism. Oh, and then, and, <laughs> and then morning. <laughs> oh, man. Bleach is always bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> I actually, and I think I, I referenced, there is one in either uh, Iowa or Idaho of a gay kid working at a pizza shop uh-huh. who was uh, pinned down and 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 they carved dye fag into his arm and poured, mm. poured bleach into his mouth and that one was um, <laughs> that was a hoax and so I don't know the, about, remember I, Morton I, Downey I was Jr. laughing because I knew Morton Downey Jr. Yeah. too yeah. the backward swastika yeah, yeah, because he was yeah. looking in the mirror well yeah. there was a girl well, that said do you remember the girl it's, I think hard. It in, in, it's hard to do swastika. this is the bipartisan nature of this the girl um, I think in Denver or I think it was in Colorado who had the Obama person attack her in 2012 <laughs> and wrote something backwards on her oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah yeah that was hilarious I think that uh, why are these people so so dumb. And let me see. You know who does this? You know who does this? Psychopathic dumb people. Because if you're, you know, Jussie Smollett, eh, why not go to Evanston? Right? Go outside the city where everything's not honeycomb with You don't cameras? have any friends there. They, no, but it doesn't there are matter. No subways <laughs> open at 2 a.m. in Evanston. <laughs> like, no, but like that story. It's so much more plausible for people who will believe anything. Yeah. Go out and go to the gas station in sort of suburban Chicago, drive out, go to a, a, like a roadhouse where there's no cameras everywhere in the but, loop in Chicago. But this is the go thing. He want, but he you wanted to get anywhere. But he wanted the camera. <laughs> And this is this is interesting. Yeah, that's true. He wanted the camera. He made certain to get insul- assaulted in front of the camera because he wanted there to be video. But there evidence. wasn't. It's he the mentioned reason. The there cameras. was a camera. It was facing in the wrong direction. Oh. He got to the scene and he pointed to the camera. This oh. is what he explained yeah. to her. Which is why the cops in the were interview, um, in the interview on what Good Morning America, oh, yeah, Robert Roberts, Roberts, yeah. he says, "I saw the camera and I said, look, there it is.'" Now we'll see what happened. It's the reason he sent the guys out to get the red hats. Okay, okay. It was cold. Okay. You couldn't see who let, they let me, were. Let me interject he something. He wanted again. the video. Yeah. Okay, here's another version of what I just said. Why did you hire two black guys? <laughs> I know that I, I appreciate Jesse Smollett you trust. Giving, giving, tight. giving black actors work. <laughs> it's, very, it's very nice of him. Black history month. It's like he's woken up. He's like, I, I, it's obviously going to look yeah, weird. It's true. It's true. The MAGA guys are both Nigerian. Yeah, yeah. But like, you know, help, it, help him out. It's true. That was a pretty good role for $3,600. Wow. Dudes that ripped are only going to get Dude, you a little like a amazing. small bruise. On no, your totally. Like, he should have like, knocked him, over. him out. Yeah. yeah. He's going to get knocked out in prison. Well, Jesse. What? Oof. He's going to prison. No, he's well, not. No, he's, he's not. not. He may he's not. Get, he's getting a show on Bravo. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think it's MSNBC is where you end up after one yeah. of these. Oh, Whoops. by the way, Sorry. tonight, Sorry. a Nazi guy arrested yeah. uh, this evening for 
uh, planning some sort of terrorist attack. This is Coast Guard guy, uh, right? Coast Guard guy, list of thing that they that they revealed, um, people's names on it who are going to attack um, AOC, uh, Chris Hayes. Our Ooh. friend Chris Hayes. Really? Uh, yeah. Joe uh, Scarborough, which Joe was Scarborough. identified as like... Joey. Joey. Yeah. <laughs> That's so Ari Melber. Yeah, Ari Melber. Right. Wow. It's like, what a bad terrorist, Ari Melber. He was obsessed with Anders Breivik. Yeah, he was um, obsessed with Breivik, yeah. Yeah, and a uh, white nationalist and yeah. was heavily armed and, like Anders Breivik, heavily drugged. He was yes. on um, a lot of uh, speed and steroids. Where where was this? Where was he? Uh, where was he arrested? Uh, I just saw it tonight before he came out. I thought it was, it was DC, DC area. Yeah, wow. DC area. But you Ooh. know the thing about this is that there's a lot of these things on the um, extreme right these days. There, the thing the thing that's Silver different. Silver Springs, sorry. Silver Spring, yeah. The thing that's different about it is that these guys are really bad at organizing. And there's no coherence to the movement. There used to be a guy named William Pierce who was in, I think, uh, Idaho. Um, and he was kind of sp- – I think Randy Weaver went to was Aryan Nations uh, or National Alliance or whatever it was. And Randy Weaver was actually had gone over there. And that was the closest you ever got to some sort of coherence in the neo-Nazi movement in America. The difference is, is that you have these lone wolves that can do an amazing amount of damage that – you know, Timmy McVeigh is one of them. It doesn't really qualify as like a neo-Nazi, but, you know, just on that weirdo survivalist right. That The difference is, is that, you know, with, with jihadists, for instance, and the, I was thinking about this tonight because we have two female ISIS members who are trying to come back to their respective countries, one coming back to America and one trying to come back to England, a girl from Bethnal Green, which is mm-hmm. an area in London, kind of a rough area that um, George Galloway used to be the MP for. Um, so they're trying to come back. The foreign minister of the United Kingdom, I think probably illegally, it's probably going to be challenged in court, has uh, denied her, uh, taken away her citizenship. This girl who's 19, I think 19 years old now. And then a girl from Alabama who the United States said will not be allowed to come back. The thing that I was thinking about in relation to this stuff is these lone wolves who are very, very dangerous. And on the far right, you have a lot of them these days. It's just like, this is a terror, this is a threat, like a legitimate threat in America. People deny that are denying, you know, obvious reality. But they don't organize in the sense that it scares me more that the ideological kinship that you get in ISIS and the number of people that, you know, hundreds of which come from Belgium, you know, in one neighborhood, they're like, there's lots. I mean, if there is that type of movement in the United States, rather than this one scumbag here, and we have to be careful about this stuff and very diligent about these people and pay attention to them. You have Charlottesville, you see these things that happen. But, or the, you know, the, the synagogue shooting in Pittsburgh, for instance, there are individual things. The ISIS guys are incredibly talented at recruiting. And that is a much more, that's, that's terrifying to me because you couldn't get enough Nazis together to do an Islamic state t- type thing in a shitty, broken down country close to but America. But what, what you can get is that the homegrown people They try to here, do it like in Idaho. If you're, if you're an American and <clears throat> you get nutty, you know how to operate a gun. Yes. You know how to operate explosive better than probably than your modal, uh, you know, transitory yeah. or recent immigrants from a Middle Eastern country. And these country. groups do this recruit. Is, that's from super the racist, man. Yeah, I yes, think it is. they do. Yeah. 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 yeah and they recruit yeah. from the military. This guy was no, it's, it's always somebody from like, you know, this, the Coast Guard was weird, though. Hmm. Yeah. Um, when, when, they, when, they, when they find somebody, well, a fellow traveler who's either in the military <laughs> or got military experience, they like elevate Absolutely. them. In, was in that the a movement. Coast Guard disc? 
I was just trying to like start <laughs> some kind of military. He was he's a Marine veteran as well though. Coming no, he's yeah, working oh, the Coast Guard right. now. Sorry, 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 I'm Marines. looking, I'm looking to my left. <laughs> That's how he comes. And there's Scott. a man in a yellow shirt with flowers <laughs> talking about the Coast Guard I'm being pretty, a bunch of pussies. I'm pretty sure that's popcorn. It's it's uh, it's kind of unclear. Whatever it is, I think it's, it's, I think it's flowers. I think those are flowers. Absolutely those are flowers. Yeah. I, try, I mean, by the way, it's not tougher than it's popcorn. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, he has no shame. Yeah, Sorry, Coast Guard. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, I think that like I, I mean, it is an interesting comparison of these two. The you know the the rise of this kind of far right groups. I don't know if it's a rise. I mean, we can talk about Camille's appearance mm. on Reliable Sources, which is interesting, talking about um, rising hate crimes and things like that, because there's a lot of presumption in this, is that Donald Trump is empowering these people. I don't think they need much empowering um, with or without Donald Trump. I think that happens anyway. The amount of, of plug-and-play, uh, and that was... I, I've, I've gotten a lot of green room chatter about Camille's appearance. Really? Uh, just, really? Just, and, and in general, people like, my God... Or is Ben uh, Shapiro it, called him the black guy? I mean, <laughs> I mean that's what I call him. No, seriously, Ben Shapiro. Like, yeah. Ben, you know who I am. Like, we've done television together on more than one occasion, yeah. and you have, like, this super brain where you remember all of the things. It's hard for me to believe that yeah. you knew what show I was on. Send him an email that says, watch do we all look the, the same? Maybe, and maybe he's trolling <laughs> Suddenly, the guy from the fifth column podcast the black, is the black guy. <laughs> yes. Not Camille Foster. I thought Moynihan was the black and guy. Fix it. Podcast. And I'm not saying it's racist. I'm just saying I'm it's saying it's ridiculous. For the record, ben, Ben's been invited, expressed interest on coming on the show, <laughs> yeah. and he's still welcome to come on and the this show. Is, yeah. this, and there, there's no beef, yeah. but yeah. it's unacceptable. Yeah, just it's unacceptable. Tell him, just it was sign your email, like the black guy. Right. Did you come on the show? Right. Wasn't and even and, the and black I'm a little guy. outraged was... because my name is my name. Yeah. The Post amount the of patience. I love the that code switch show. in there. Uh, <laughs> so my wire, name is my name. It's a wire reference. <laughs> you uh, were on with uh, what's her face from uh, what's it's called? Uh, it was uh, Liz Plank, who is yeah. uh, from Vox, and I don't know what her what her role is. It was there. an it was amazing appearance. Please go if you haven't checked it out. Uh, look at it. Uh, it's great. Um, the, about the worst thing that Camille does interpersonally in terms of like being aggressive or being anything. The only thing that you could ever uh, uh, complain about if you were uh, a person who didn't like Camille mm. is that he rolled his eyes at completely eye rolling moments. Did I? Yeah. Yeah. I, got, yeah. I got a photo of it. I made it, it showed a snap. It's it. pretty good. I have it's, a very expressive face. It's not like, is that what it it's is? not the Moynihan, <laughs> yes. uh, the Moynihan uh, like uh, reaction shot face, but it was a good eye roll. It was more of a wince. <laughs> but but like she is was so incredibly condescending <laughs> she actually uses and this is one of the uh the most it's amazing. it's amazing one of the more popular tweets that i've had in a long time uh where i just uh i quoted one thing that she said some like oh so you're the expert that's right on yeah. like uh yeah. on and then i followed up which, which is which a, which I, I got a popular shoot out of that by saying isn't that why is this not white splatter? <laughs> like, by the way, people, I was not being serious about that. But yeah. typically, if Camille's political opinions were different and Liz Plank's political opinions were coherent and different, mm -hmm. then that would be considered white splaining, right? I mean, that, that, but, but rather it's just, you know, it, it just is sort of Farago of woke nonsense to, but it is funny to watch. White splaining is a dumb thing, right? Mm -hmm. But it is funny to watch this kind of, prissy pretty thin white girl talking to camille and say like oh you're an expert and it's like i'm sorry what, like what's your expertise vassar girl i mean it's not about being white as much as it is 
looking at Camille and presuming with, he doesn't know and presuming he doesn't know. Cause I mean, I look at him and he's got $48,000 sneakers on and some <laughs> Los Angeles winners hat on right now. I mean, I, I think well, I mean, he knows. Like, uh, so the, the, <laughs> a big part of the conversation was that the narrative, <laughs> the narrative had taken over beyond the facts. And yes. that was kind of what Liz was yeah. talking about was never mind whether or not this was a hoax or not. We don't know if it was a hoax or not. What's more important are yeah. these FBI figures, which you were trying to put contextualize. Sure. She interrupted. And uh, later on Twitter, she referenced her master's degree as something that she said she wanted to refer back to when her um, ideas are dismissed as a narrative. And and for the record, I mean, and and I suspect most of the people listening will know this, but the trouble with the hate crime statistics is at least twofold. The first problem being that the reporting of hate crime statistics happens from local police departments to the FBI And it is voluntary. Voluntary, So if you're trying to do what Liz was doing, which is extrapolate from the FBI hate crime data to say, oh, there were this many this year and the following year there were Y. So we know that there's a trend. Well, the question becomes, is the source of data the same? And it's simply not. It's not. No. It it could be 100 reporting agencies in one year and 500 in the next. In fact – When we actually go back and look at the increase, that is precisely what we see. A number of agencies are actually starting to report. That's the first layer of the problem. The second problem is there's some arbitrariness with respect to what a hate crime is. The departments themselves have different criteria about this. And people, citizens have different perspectives on this. Is it a hate crime if I say to someone, you're a credit to your race? Or if I say you're a discredit to your race, maybe I have to say it in a, in a nasty way, and then I punch them in the head. Like, is it? I don't know. Maybe. I, I, think, that, I think that's probably <laughs> a crime. I, but I don't know. It doesn't but it might not be a great bar. example. I think, that, I think the example that <laughs> I'm But the criteria about. that I laid out for why this is problematic is, is good and effective. And, and, and literally, it's 1,000 more agencies reporting year over year yeah. than, had, mm-hmm. and than had reported before in the uh, the the – the 17% increase in hate crimes year over year was in a, in a year where there was a thousand more groups that were reporting. Yes. So like, that's a big difference. It's a big yeah. difference. And also one of the things that I'm not sure about, I remember looking at this in the past and seeing that there was some ambiguity about it. Is that if somebody comes up to you in the street, you're the only person there. The other person's the only person there across. And it's a Jesse Smollett kind of situation and <laughs> yell something at you. That's a, you know, based on your ethnicity Hey, Empire. and you go, yeah, yeah. I love the show, by the way, big MAGA fan. Love the show. Um, didn't know you were gay. And now I'm a little upset to be honest, but if somebody yells something at you and you report that to the police is that does that get classified as a hate crime because and i think in some places it does mm-hmm. you know, because it's one witness mm-hmm. right you have no corroborating evidence and it is a verbal it's not a crime right right, right. it's not necessarily you know i don't know what the standards are and i'm i'm not saying that this is a big problem because i don't know the answer to it and maybe mm-hmm. anthony will tell me but it is i remember that the the cat not the categories but the actual what constituted a hate crime was so flabby as to be totally meaningless. And it's different mm-hmm. state by state. There's been a number of states recently that have passed hate crimes legislation to cover cops. Yep. Yeah. And it's also the, 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 the thing um, by percentage of the population, 
the largest, you know, uh, victims of hate crimes, according to the statistics, are Jews, Jews. always. Um, and it's been that way for some time. But even it, there, I think there's – yeah. There's some, there's some fussiness there's around some those numbers too, because yeah. the increase in uh, threats to Jewish uh, organizations and Jewish facilities was largely the result of one Jewish kid. Oh, from who, Israel. Who, who, yeah. Who was, yeah. Who was Israel. sending around fake bomb exactly threats. He right. did get yeah. prosecuted. He, that, he did. He did yes. get prosecuted. Was that the Intercept guy or somebody different? No, no. This, so no, the, intercept guy. Guy, the Intercept guy was a copycat. <laughs> Yeah. And I think he maybe right. made two phone calls. This kid set up a robo dialer and was call <laughs> and he called something like two hundred different places over the course of maybe like a a year or a couple of months. And almost so he'd everyone had been them. doing this for years and was only and prosecuted for the stuff he had done in a couple of years, sort of recently. Post the Trump election, this became a huge deal. And I think folks will remember that there were stories where it was like 100 synagogues have been called since the end of the election. Um, and there was also, I guess, a couple of uh, <laughs> it's, it's Jewish amazing. cemeteries that had been vandalized. Well, although it different. turned out that in yeah, one yeah. case, it was totally not a hate crime. Yeah. It was some guy who was drunk and just sort of knocked some stuff but I, I, Yeah, it's just not good. But, but I love <laughs> the fact that people are like 100 synagogues got these calls. Mm. And the actual message is yeah. Israelis are really good at technology. <laughs> it's like, that's a tech hub. But what's, They what's, created ways. What's and interesting? And anti-Semitic robocalling. Yeah. But machines. what's interesting is early on in the reporting, you could not find reporting that said, "Oh yeah, it's a robocall." Yeah, like yeah. that. Even that circumstance started to look a lot stranger but, once but, you started to pay attention and saw the detail beyond the headline of exactly. there's been a spike in hate crimes. Can we talk about this, though? And I think because you said this, we're talking about the text chain, but just to get like a little more granular about this, of why we feel uncomfortable expressing skepticism. And uh, our job sure. as journalists is to be skeptical, especially when you hear a story like this. And I, I remember, I don't remember what I said, but I remember it was on CNN with Jake Tapper about the UVA thing. And he said something to the effect of like, it could be true. And I said, well, it could be. And I don't know if I said it or just thought it, but it was like, as a journalist, what happens is you get pitches that come into you all the time and a lot are, are unsolicited. Mm -hmm. And you have to just on site like adjudicate whether or not they're good or bad or true or not. Sure. So I remember getting one. Uh, it, uh, it was a story about Iran and it was an Iranian American who had gone back to Iran and she described these parties that were happening amongst the elites. And I know these things happen, but it was so fantastical that I was, I, I said no to it. I, I passed on it. Did I have any evidence that it wasn't true? No, it just didn't smell right. And that was the thing with the UVA stuff. It's like, whoa, whoa, are you denying the victim's narrative, whatever. I'm not denying anything. I'm just saying that when somebody says there was a bottle tossed from 50 feet away and it smashed on your head, it's like, no, that's a Lee Majors television show from the 70s. It, it would probably hit you and hurt really bad. And that's also incredible aim. These are stupid things to point out. Out, but you're like, that just doesn't sound right. The sandwich, like the subway sandwich, why is he holding the sandwich? Maybe you could have fallen down, <laughs> got beaten up and picked it up. But it's that little thing yeah. that, that makes you say, oh, it doesn't really smell right. And why are we scared to say this doesn't smell right? I'll give you an example of this. In the neighborhood that a friend of mine lives in, there is a park that is named after um, Adam Yauk from the Beastie Boys. And it's in Brooklyn Heights. And it's Adam Yauk Park. And after Donald Trump was elected, it was defaced with swastikas. And it was other, just like a, a week or two. A week later, <laughs> maybe even less. <laughs> and kind of convenient in, I mean, in a very Jewish neighborhood. That's maybe you come to a Jewish neighborhood if you're a Nazi, whatever. <laughs> I, and I don't know. You're in Manhattan. It's a little strange. And every, everyone comes at, well, you're in Brooklyn. Yeah, sorry. 
It's actually in Brooklyn Heights. Heights, yeah. So people come, ex the, you know, I think Mike D or one of these people, come, they come down and give speeches there and everything. And nobody decided to point out that the swastikas were backwards. <laughs> and I'm like, you know, Nazis are dopes and they're stupid. <laughs> but the one thing swastikas. they can get is the swastika. <laughs> they're like, they know which way they go. If you see a backwards swastika, like, why not be slightly scared? So that would probably be reported as a hate crime. Uh-huh. Was it real? I don't know. Almost certainly not. I would suggest it probably wasn't. Uh-huh. If I was a betting person, and that says nothing about me and my politics or what I think about Nazis or how many Nazis are in America, it's just like in this thing. It just doesn't look right. And what you said is this, this sort of compiling of all these fake things. There are a lot. And it is, it is something that if it wasn't about this would be studied. Because there is a website that's like fake hate, fake hate crimes. And God, it could be run by a fucking Nazi. I have no idea. I think it is American, <laughs> it pro- American Renaissance. Uh, maybe. That's, that's probably right. Because they have a vested interest. It doesn't matter if they do, though. Right. Because if it's fake, it's fake, right? What I'm interested in is the phenomenon of why this happens so much. Because it, it, it happens a lot. And Liz Plank, these people say, oh, they're real hate crimes. Nobody's denying this. You know, stop burning exactly straw right. men down. Yeah. I didn't say there weren't. There are, you know, I don't know if Majid Nawaz, who is beaten up in, in, in England, I mean, I, it struck me that that was probably real Certainly because a lot he, more believable. he said there were witnesses who have already spoken to the police. That's a weird yeah. lie. So there's, there's a, an analog that's worth uh, uh, investigating here. It happens. It's on real. <clears throat> the kind of populist uh, Trumpite right, which is super crimes committed by uh, illegal immigrants exactly. in the United States. Totally. Yes. Yep. Um, usually yeah. when the presidents or Jeff Sessions when he was the attorney general or other people talk about <clears throat> immigration and criminality in general, there's going to be hyperbole, stuff that isn't true, um, or just kind of a lurid picture of things. But also on the granular specifics oftentimes of the cases, even the the, the showcase story uh, of the uh, of the poor girl in uh, San Francisco who got shot. Kate Steinle. Kate Steinle, uh, which is like a, a, probably the uh, biggest r- sort of rallying point story. A lot of the specific details, and I can't tell, <clears throat> cite them right now, um, uh, of them were very misleading. I mean, she absolutely got shot and killed. There's no question about that. Um, so I would presume that you could find you could you could come up with your own long you know Twitter thread of those things too, and it's worthy of investigation. I and I uh, encourage people out there who are interested in the subject to go and uh, check that out as well. Um, and you know, it's a similar thing. Like like there is a political motivation uh, surrounding it. I think uh, somewhat of a difference is that uh, I guess it's there. I'm just sort of thinking out loud here. Uh, but there's an element, and John McWhorter had a piece in the Atlantic today that was pretty mm-hmm. interesting yep. about this of. Uh, the way in which the um, kind of self-fake victimology becomes its own kind of rush. <clears throat> Our friend Nancy Rollman has written about this a lot in terms of of uh, kind of sociopaths who hoax them or you know do elaborate hoaxes that starts with like uh, I have these. This yeah. imaginary illness or uh, my child has an illness and these kind of things. I, I, I was a Holocaust survivor. I survived 9-11. There's a documentary about hmm. a woman, a Spanish woman, who said she, she survived 9-11. And, these and are, I guess the, uh, the yeah. military, like false, not false flag, but the uh, false kind of val- stolen, stolen valor. Yeah. Kind of stolen story. valor stuff. I mean, <clears throat> in the Holocaust, it's, it's funny because people, especially in the far right, use this stuff in weird ways, right? Not weird ways. I mean, sort of I, doesn't surprise me ways. Is that anytime there's a fake Holocaust 
survivor and there's a bunch of them right and there was this benjamin uh, will kamirsky i think his name from switzerland there was a guy from belgium who was ordered to pay 22 million dollars back to his publisher Ooh. for faking it 22 million uh, yeah yeah it was a lot cuz i mean it was, i think it was i think it was it became a global sensation there's a whole bunch of these but the holocaust happened guys you know just because these people faked it yeah. and it's like yeah people use this stuff for kind of mustache twisting nefarious purposes it doesn't mean that i should be scared to point it out because David Irving, the neo-Nazi, is going to point it out too. And I think that that's the place that we've, we've like, literally, I know people in New York and media, I don't know anyone that's not of a certain political bent, right? It's just people are, right? Mm -hmm. And on this particular issue, I've had a couple of conversations and a couple of really big fights. And it was this kind of pig-headed unwillingness to even consider that it might, might not be true. Right. The because yeah, because right. it worked so perfectly with a preconceived narrative. It was like, well, obviously this president is a shithead racist. Were you, were you ever told I'm so exhausted? That's a, uh, th that's a thing that happens all the time. Oh, where, I, where? I, I was told one thing in particular when I said, um, no, I'll address that in a minute. Uh, yeah, that's my ankle bracelet. I shouldn't have come this close to a school. It's like, I didn't know there was a school that was close to the studio. So it's going through the whole kind of list of the strange things that had happened to Smollett, according to Smollett's account, one of which is that he didn't call the police right away, right? Right. So I said this in a whole kind of scope of other things. It wasn't just this thing only, but I was – rounded on by a couple of people at a table who said, you don't know what it's like to be a victim of a hate crime. It's very <laughs> Like, I mean, you're obviously not going to call the cops right away. And someone said, uh, a white person, of course, said to me that as like a white man who's never had anything like they said, like you're telling me what you do after you're assaulted. I'm like, no, it's just logical because he called somebody else. <laughs> I was like, I was just being normal. I was like, I don't know. I'd call the cops. I just like, it's not about, I'm not thinking about, you know, Jim Crow. I'm just calling, I'm like, I was called the cops. This right. is bad. There were racists on the, on the loose beating up people and calling them all sorts of names and pouring bleach on them and putting nooses around their necks. By the way, little overkill. Don't do it. If you're going to do it next time, bleach, well, just pick one, the bleach or the news. About bleach though, I mean, get the spray bottle. I mean, you want <laughs> yeah. a directional with this. Like it's yeah. much more, you could get it in the eyes. You oh, know, you by the way, do you think that they went and planted that bleach bottle after the fact? Because the police combed the area and then the New York Post retraced the path and found a bottle that had a bleach-like smell and did a report on it. Saw yeah, that, I saw that. Yeah, I wonder if they, like, if... The New York like, Post planted it? No, if one of the guys that was arrested... I mean, yeah, bleach-like yeah. smell, maybe. One of so my favorite... Like, it could be like a hobo piss. Who knows? <laughs> one of my favorite responses to this on Twitter, like, this is the February 14th era response, when the story is, like, obviously shit, and it's, uh -huh. it's, it's a matter of, uh, of uh, when, not if. It comes completely unraveled. was like, oh, you libertarians, now you totally love the cops. Oh God! Well, you know, so I hope that if if um, somebody robbed your house and like held your wife prisoner, you wouldn't call the cops because that'd cops. be so handle it yourself. Matt. Handle it yourself. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, the the thing I said on Stelter's show was um, that you know the intersectional nature of this particular offense and circumstance makes it a heck of a lot more difficult for folks to raise issues about this because of the concern that your motivations will be questioned or you'll be challenged for having raised this. Um, but the, I think the, the broader point 
which I haven't really heard discussed in a lot of contexts, is the degree to which social justice advocates have been working really, really hard, and to put it in explicit terms, to downgrade the evidentiary standard for victims who come forward or for for proclaimed victims who are laying out their allegation. You can't ask questions. You must believe them by virtue of the fact that they've claimed this victim status. And once it is established, I mean, even sort of the search for evidence becomes unimportant. And it was the one sour note, I thought, in um, John's otherwise like really good piece in The Atlantic was when um, he says – Yes, my skepticism made me feel a little guilty. We are justly sensitized to violence against people for being black and for being gay in the wake of incidents I need not name. And then he goes on to say, we are also just past watching legions of people who should have known better refuse to credit Christine Blasey Ford's accusations against Supreme Court Justice Brett Kavanaugh, period. Why should I credit that? Why? It, it, it matters. Like, I think actually what happened is that a lot of people evidence to I, support the claim if, or if you're reaching these conclusions because it fits your political preferences. I, I would which imagine a number if we rolled, people probably did. If we played the tape of how we talked about it here, um, it was like, hey, you know what? She sounded like she meant yeah. it. She yeah. sounded credible. Yeah. And also it's really, really impossible to like sort the evidence here. Uh-huh. Um, and there's a lot of problems with it. You're not going to get any, there's nobody else you can p- put at the scene. There's a whole bunch of problems evidentiarily does it work? Yeah. Um, with all that. And so there, there wasn't like, Oh my God, look at that liar face. Right, precisely. It wasn't that. Yeah. So yeah, I, I agree. With that. And, and there's, there's an option. There's an, there's an option somewhere between total cynicism that leaves you no room to move whatsoever and complete credulity. You simply give in completely because this person is from a disadvantaged background. Therefore, anything they say must, in fact, be true. There have been yeah. way too many of these dubious stories for us to accept that unreasonable standard. And quite frankly, I think the the notion – and I've – I actually said yes to this when asked about it on uh, Reliable Sources. And I shouldn't have because I, I don't think it's true. And in the moment, I think I just kind of said yes but didn't mean it, which – I mean these, this happens. These things happen, yeah. These things happen. I mean in, in real time, it was wrong. But – I don't think that this has an adverse effect on the ability of future victims to come forward and say that something bad has happened to them. I don't think that's true. I don't think that – Can I admit that I have said the same thing and I don't think it's true either when I think about it? Mm Mm-hmm. Primarily because there's been so many of these things debunked and it hasn't stopped precisely n- new ones from coming. Yeah. And especially if they're true, we do not live in a society now that – look, I understand that this is what people say and I understand that there's no way to argue against it um, because it's just – you can't. It's, sure. like a, it's, a, it's like an yeah, yeah. unfalsifiable thing is that people do not – want to report these crimes because they don't want to be re-traumatized or whatever it might be. And there's this elaborate structure of argument that I heard the other day, which I was just telling you about, of these people who hadn't really thought about the case. And immediately it triggered this uh, response of like, victims don't report things. I don't know if that's true. It is, I think, more true of victims of sexual assault uh in particular or victims of domestic assault, whether physical or sexual. Sure, exactly. And so, yeah, and again, it's not to cast doubt on that as a a sort of Mm -hmm. response to these things, but it's, it's only to say that it is kind of 
seeping into everything is that, well, he didn't call. It's like, well, you called his manager, et cetera. And you're just trying to figure these things out. And the cops think this way too. They're just trying to figure it They're not thinking like, well, you know, there's what people, what happens to people when they get beaten up and a racist homophobic attack is this. The thing about that is that is all emotion in the same way that the Blasey Ford reactions are emotion. Because the people who said that to me had no numbers on this. Mm -hmm. They had not read any academic treatises on the way people react. It's just this rote response now to say, don't doubt because you don't know that there's a rational response to this. I don't, but you don't either. I mm-hmm. think that, that if you think about it <clears throat> and guess, right, you would guess that the kind of number one category of things that you're going to report crimes about immediately mm-hmm. is if a stranger bum rushes you and does something terrible. Mm-hmm. Look, some stranger stole my purse. Some stranger punched me in the face, called me a fag, whatever. You're going to report that crime because it isn't your uncle it isn't. It isn't. By the way, some- it's, it's also selfish not to, because the idea yeah. that there's people running around, jacked up guys beating up black and gay people in Chicago, and you don't want to tell the cops, you're doing a great disservice to black people God, and gay people, sandwich, right? Man, that sandwich. <laughs> you know, good. I know. I wonder what kind of sandwich it was. What do you think he got? <laughs> I think it's got to be a spicy Italian sub. Hot peppers. I'll throw into what Camille was saying on, uh, on the evidentiary. <laughs> I don't know what that means, but it's meatball. <laughs> evidentiary standard uh, that it's not just like some fuzzy, you know, court of public opinion kind of thing. It actually affected the way that uh, sexual assault was adjudicated on campuses mm-hmm. from around 2013, I guess, is when the Title IX changes happened under the Obama administration until Betsy DeVos uh, rolled that back, I think, last year or, or uh, pretty early in her tenure. But they they tangibly reduced the evidentiary standard for how these things are adjudicated, including whether you could present your own defense yeah. and these types of things. So it's not just some fuzzy, ephemeral, that's not a word. Ephemeral. That's a, a big horn bourbon uh, whiskey. Thank you for who bought that, uh, if that was Camille or a listener. Yeah, we uh, should do, a, do the thanks in a minute. Uh, but anyways, societal attitudes eventually come around and become legal standards is, mm-hmm. is one of the reasons why we argue about these things. Yeah, and, and I don't want to stay on this too much longer, but for anyone who didn't see I, I, my response to this, there was this piece at Mediaite, white Vox contributor sneers at yeah. black CNN panelists, um, and it has the quote Which is there true. That, that, Matt, <laughs> that Matt mentioned earlier, you're an expert on hate crimes, question mark. Um, I, I don't like this piece. Um, and not because of the sneering, although in the moment, I mean, we've all done TV and we've all had some sort of dust ups with people on television. I thought it was funny. Like I smile at her during that exchange, like synergetic, it's spirited. What? You're an expert. I'm fine with your sarcasm. You're wrong. I will demonstrate how you're wrong. You this weren't traumatized by it. N- no, I wasn't. Um, but what I find particularly I grating is the <laughs> what I found particularly grating is the the racial dynamic that is injected into a conversation that had absolutely zero to do with race. And as we pointed out in other contexts where the roles are reversed, people do do the power play where you're not allowed to disagree with me because I have the appropriate perspective on this because I'm black and that makes me authoritative. Um, Or I have this inherent disadvantage. That means you can't hit me particularly hard because I'm black and you're white. It's total bullshit. It's awful when it happens in the other direction. I do not want that sort of bullshit deployed on my behalf. 
And I think we have an obligation to call that shit out when we see it. And journalists, and I know some listen to this thing of ours, who do that on occasion, like sort of conveniently because it gets fucking clicks, stop it. Cut you know, it can out. I ask it's you a question, bullshit. Camille? And I think that this, the, the, the thing is, is that somebody from the kind of woke left like um, Elizabeth Plank would presume and not doubt you at all if you said, as a black man who lives in Bedford-Stuyvesant, I grew up in this country that has this heritage and this history and a kind of Kaepernick recapitulation of American history. I start to feel, I feel powerful as you say. Yeah, that, I know. Actually. I can see you puffing yeah. up like a Nigerian fighter. <laughs> um, it's if that, if that, you know, it's amazing to me that she who will give all the authority in the world based on an immutable characteristic like that denies it for you. Because I think that you would probably suggest if you said to her, as you've said to people and on this podcast before, that you really haven't experienced a ton of kind of on the street racism before. When to, to the extent I've experienced that it's mostly essentialism and it's mostly come from people who happen to be black. Yeah. So, okay. So if, if, <laughs> you know, if like you said that to her, she would just say that you're not, I'm, I don't want to put person, somebody like that would probably say that you are, you are kind of, you know, one of the ways of saying like you're a Tom, because you get this shit all the time on Twitter. I get that too. All the time. A couple of, a couple of white folks who've been brave enough to say things. Yeah. Wow. That's, uh, which is amazing know, to me. But it's almost like you are, you are because <laughs> yes. of your ideological blinders willing away <laughs> things that are uh-huh. apparent to you, et cetera. You're not even noticing the racism that's happening right and I'm, i refuse to acknowledge it or something along those lines yeah. and i i do want to be careful about but this. what if you just said like this import- was nice and yeah. i don't want to exactly. i don't want to no, demonize her i don't know it. her views on various things yeah no so i don't i don't mean her. Just yeah. final, final point is, is that is that isn't it the thing that she should say is that if you had had this experience then you're an expert. If you haven't had this experience, you're not. I, she hasn't had the experience. I don't know why she's an expert uh-huh. because she got some sort of well, no, ma- master's well, degree in gender <laughs> politics yeah. or something. Well, she said in the moment, um, I'm not an expert and neither are you. That's why I trust the FBI to make these determinations. Yeah, that's a bad, that's a bad Which, response. Yeah. yeah. But the thing is, is that you would be an expert if something similar to this had happened to you, right? Just by virtue of being, you know, this is the immutable characteristic. Yeah, according and to their I rules. Can't, yeah. I can't change it. I had nothing to do with it. But so it must have happened to you. So you must, like, no, I actually haven't had this experience with the police. Mm-hmm. Because I think everybody, the people who haven't had that experience with the police are taking on that identity that they have, right? I know it. I feel it. You don't know what it's like to be me in America. Mm-hmm. And the interesting thing about talking to you about this is that you say, well, this is my experience in America, and it's rather different than that. Mm-hmm. So I think it would be fine to say that you're an expert or not an expert if something like this had happened. To Camille's point, it by, by virtue of your background, doesn't give you expertise on something like this. I would also just add that um, Camille had a little uh, uh, tweet thread on this uh, subject, which was great, and I recommend everyone uh, look at it. And part of what you conclude in there. And some people disagree with, uh, which is that don't just troll using their rules back on them. Mm-hmm. Um, you talk about that a little bit. Why? Why? Why isn't it? Why isn't it good to subject not her in particular, but just people in general who play by X set of rules? Um, <laughs> why not flip it on them and make them taste their own medicine? Well, I'll, I'll quote you since you're asking me questions that you know the answer to, because that way lies madness, Matt Welch. Um, it, it's, it's poison. Wow, someone reads my Twitter. Yeah. Yeah, so yeah. It's poison. It's poison. We don't, we don't need more of that bullshit. Um, what was the response to that? 
to what, what to your tweet saying, "Don't give me that bullshit." Um, did, actually, the, did the author of the piece respond? You know what's funny? I I sent him a direct message because I didn't tag him in the in the tweet because I didn't want to create this like very personal thing. But yeah. I did feel like I I ought to reach out to you because I don't like this and I want you to know that I don't like it. Um, and he said thank you when I sent him the message via DM. And that's the only response I've seen. He did follow me and I followed him back. And, you know, maybe he'll have more to say about this later. Um, I don't think he's an especially bad person. Lots of people do this. Yeah. Um, I, and I, I do get the instinct. It is grating. It, it is awful when this sort of thing happens to you, when you're, when, when you're, you have the rules sort of used in this unfair way. Um, it sucks and you want revenge and retribution. So you try to give them a taste of their own medicine. I get it, but it is the wrong thing to do because it just amplifies the abuse. It, it gives people permission to use this thing and it makes these, the established rules of the game. It's better to call the shit out. Um, every single time you see it and just establish that this rule is unacceptable. And, and quite frankly, I mean, I, I really do. There's some, there's something I, I've referred to it before, just the necessity of having additional courage in our, public interactions with one another, both with respect to covering stories like this and suspecting it's bullshit, which a lot of people did and nobody was willing to say publicly. For the most part, there were some people who did. Um, We have to have a bit more courage in that respect. And if somebody is using those rules on you, that, that, that social justice judo that makes it unacceptable for you to criticize someone because of their immutable characteristics, say, I don't play by those rules. I think that's bogus. Will, will some people have their heads lopped off in circumstances like that in, in ways that are total bullshit, bullshit? Absolutely. Will that happen to you? Probably not. This, it, there's no – I want to preface this by saying that I don't think saying – that you think that Jesse Smollett is a liar is brave. There's people in the world that are brave and that's not true. it. Right. But there is a, but in a smaller scale, we can allow these things to exist in a smaller scale. I once read a piece a long time ago for the daily beast about, um, uh, first world problems and how it's an insanely stupid thing to say is like, mm. I, I can't complain that my dishwasher is broken because nobody has running water in Chad. doesn't make any <laughs> sense. Right. So I get that there's scale in this stuff. And I think this is a small, and I think that 90% of our listeners would be justified in rolling their eyes about this. of like people work in the media in New York being wimps about stuff. But you know, it, the reason people don't say these sorts of things is this type of quote unquote bravery. Cause I don't have another word for it. It's a very small thing. Mm-hmm is in short supply and that's in short supply for a reason, right? There's a reason that, you know, things, status quos remain the way they are when they're unjust and they're evil and the rest of it. I don't think this, you know, I'm not talking about somebody on the streets protesting Maduro or something, but in a Hmm. small way, everybody that I know that works in this industry, left, right, center, doesn't matter, is like, I got a kid to put through school. Fuck that, I'm not gonna say it. Because there is a cost to it. And I get like, and, and to do it the other way, I understand the argument like, oh, come on. Like, you know, a friend of mine made this argument on Twitter recently. It's like, oh, you get a perch at, you know, the New York Times and you become Barry Wise. It's like, well, there's one Barry Wise. That's right. And there's one Barry Wise whose life is pretty grim if you're a person who's sensitive to that sort of stuff. Because if you search Barry. She isn't. She is not. <laughs> but if you look at Barry's 
Twitter feed her mentions. I mean, these are blue checkmark people, and it's yeah. really hard. Yeah, she yeah. can't do a thing. I, I, tell, I tell you what, Barry, Barry is is not as sensitive to it um, now. I think, but I did have a conversation. I don't think she'd mind me saying this um, when it all started because I made a joke of like. She was my editor at the Wall Street Journal, and then she was my editor at Tablet mm-hmm. when I wrote pieces for both of those places. And if you had told me 10 years ago that Barry Weiss would be the object of hate on some internet platform called Twitter, yeah. I'd say you're insane, right? Yeah. You're to be, you know, selling, you know, Bibles in the street and pencils. It's a, it's a, it was a mad thing for me to think of. But when it first hit her, it did not land well with her. Yeah. I mean, I remember her telling me how hard it was. And it's like, oh, boo-hoo, she's making a lot of money at the New York Times. It's like, you know what? My response to that is like, kind of fuck you. Because it's not fun just because, and to the point of like the first world problem thing, just because you're not experiencing something grim and you're in a New York City prison that has no heat or something, yeah, that's terrible. But it doesn't mean, it's not a binary choice. You can yeah. choose one or the other. It's a small scale, but it's in my world. It's in the world that you and I and all of us live in and you know it's hard and you know it's hard when like even the stupid things like you say something, this is a dumb thing, but you say something, you write something, it becomes controversial and you go pick your kids up at school and everyone's like, oh, there's that guy. Mm-hmm. And like, it's not fun. It's like not, it's not a, it's not going to end your life, yeah. but there are things at a point which is an inflection point where it does end your life. Mm. And there's a lot of people that in, for various reasons do not work in journalism anymore because they tweeted the wrong thing and they made one mistake and we're in an era of one mistake. We're not in an era of forgiveness. And it's like, everyone's careful. I don't want to call this guy, Jesse Smollett out because, and it has to be larded in weasel words. And like, maybe if possibly, because if I'm wrong, I don't want to go down. Mm -hmm. It's not worth it. It's not worth it to go down for some fucking guy in a stupid show. on One point, but, and we can bounce uh, soon, but, uh, that Brendan O'Neill made when, when he was here that I thought was very uh, interesting because I disagree with Brendan about uh, various things. Uh, but like uh, his virtues of free speech are precisely about coloring outside the lines. Um, and, and that's an, an interesting thing to think about. Like if we don't – if everyone is so guarded that they see that line and they've got to like screw up the courage to go even a little bit outside of it um, because they're afraid of the re- repercussions uh, for various things, then we all kind of suffer. And I think it's it's worth thinking about. I mean, I, I say that as someone who tries to be careful, except when I'm drinking Bighorn bourbon whiskey on this particular <laughs> yeah. po- podcast. Um, but, uh, but like, I, I kind of, uh, I value that sense. And I worry about the walls getting a little bit closer in all the time. And I, I look for and, and value those who are trying to expand them. Yeah. Is there, I mean, Barry was on, um, speaking of Barry, Barry was on uh, Joe Rogan's podcast. And um, I think about a week later, I talked to her on the phone and I said, you know, hey, uh, I mean, she can, <laughs> she won't remember this. I said, hey, I, there was a bit in that podcast in which you inspired me. And like, you know, I've known Barry for a long time. I'm not likely to be inspired by anyone. I, everyone is horrible. I don't, I, we all, like if you, if the yeah. videos were working here when Moynihan said inspired, oh, such Camille Foster eye rolling. It, like, it, it, like it I, makes bits of my body wrong. hurt to say that. But uh, she told that, she said to Rogan, you know, people who agree with me and tell me so in private have to, and this was Barry's phrase, nut up. Um, and you know, just like stop, just nut up and just be honest about what you think. And that's hard for a lot of people because, you know, we work in an industry where I, it, it, the, the, 
it's, I don't want, nobody wants to say the wrong thing. I, I'm baffled by people who, say, who tweet something and get fired for it because I look at my Twitter feed for 25 minutes before I press send. I'm like looking for a little, like Anthony's shaking his head, he does too. Oh, yeah. Like you don't want to do the wrong, like it, it's, it's not as if, because you don't expect that people have read your stuff for a long time or listen to this podcast. They're different people, mm-hmm. but are watched the television show. They, they're going to say like, ah, I know him. I know what he means. He's a good guy. He doesn't mean that. No. Nobody cares. Nobody cares. They're out for blood and they're out for a scalp. And it's like, if you're the scalp, they just, they literally covered in your own blood and they turn around, looks like thanks. And they go to the next person. It's almost like fundamentalism. And I think that Brendan O'Neill actually was kind of, if he didn't use that word, he was definitely trending in that direction that it's a, it's the rules that need to be followed are fundamentalist in the way that a religious fundamentalist would demand uh, total fealty to the rules and punishment is death or expulsion. Yeah, I, I think, I think it's true. And I, I think that there's a, I've been talking to some people about doing stories about this, about people who have been expelled. And I think that I showed you guys one prominent person who'd been expelled who sent me an email. Um, that was the saddest thing I'd ever read. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And he was, he's a well-known person who was run out of hmm. polite society. He is a man definitely of the left. And he went from a, a stage of, you know, saying this can't be happening to me. This is, this is unfair to total, you know, madness on the other side. Like these people have to be stopped. They're this destroyed. is why uh, I'm, I, I worry openly that everyone's going to end up at Quillette. Right? Yeah, no, exactly. exactly. Like, exactly. I, I don't want to end up at Quillette. Yeah. No, no aspersions on Quillette. I don't know like, much about it, but yeah, I've uh, seen, I've seen a couple. Yeah. No, because like, it, yeah. because they really are a collection trough. And I don't mean that in a, in a pejorative way of people who are kind of largely on the left or the center. It's not really a right wing thing, but it, who get cast out. Well, last time I visited, there was a guy that I remembered his name from the kind of Venezuela word. And I think Venezuela world. And he wrote a book, I think it was for AK press or one of these left wing presses about Ch- Chavismo and how much he loved it and the rest of it. And he was like, you know, this Maduro stuff's not very good. And he got kind of brutalized for it and he kept pushing back. And then he ended up writing a piece for Quillette. Oh and if you, if you Google the guy's photo, it's like, you shouldn't be writing for any, like anything, but you know, the, the Ithaca observer or something, some kind there's, of sandal so guy. One last point about all the Smollett thing. You don't get I wanna... to say one last point again. <laughs> we already <laughs> had It's my second yeah. last this point. Is, this is the crucial yeah. the double quadruple bonus. Yeah. It is. This I'm, is the sorrow in the pity. Yeah. Oh, hold on. I'm holding the this, booze, though. Yeah. This, yeah. this is table thumping time. There was a war on the word allegedly. It even like came out, I think, in the Columbia Journalism Review. Some people mm-hmm. who will remain nameless, but who have been on the show before, <laughs> who were like, uh, I can't believe you people jumping to be uh, skeptical of this story uh, out there. Um, that's the wrong way to go. And you know that's what? I'm sorry. Damn it. There's one more word. No, no. Yeah. AOC, you, no, no. AOC did it too. AOC said this is not an alleged hate crime. This is a hate crime. Referring to the Jesse Smollett. No, Smollett did that too yeah. in his interviews. He yeah. said, like, imagine how it feels to hear the word allegedly used for me. So he's working the refs. <laughs> and the refs are saying, great, work me some more. No. Allegedly is a great word. Claim is a great word. There's a bunch of different other shading words out there mm-hmm. that are available to people when it's a single source story and it's a lured crime with seven details that are like, really? Yeah. yeah. Major question marks. Yeah. It's okay yeah. to use allegedly. Stop trying to shame your fellow journalists from using it at the end. Yeah. Okay. So – there's two things that I want to do um, really quickly. The first is I want to say thank you to the the wonderful gentleman who sent us this 
Big Horn Bourbon Whiskey, Derek Lewis, Derek, uh, from the Derek, great I'm, state I'm of juiced. Montana. Uh, thank you very much. <laughs> that shit the, got drained. Yeah, it got drained, Derek. Derek. You are a, a gentleman and a scholar. And Derek, uh, if I missed this meeting in the morning, listened to our podcast for a very long time, <laughs> had only nice things to say about us. Um, very nice. I'm not going to talk shit about you. Thank you. For yeah, that. I want to thank him because I'm, I'm drunk and that's appreciate that's it. Small, yeah. I don't know why you had ball. to write MAGA country on the front of your letter. Yeah. that's a little weird. He drew um, a picture of you, of you being shot. Well, it's someone <laughs> being shot with a noose around their neck. I don't understand. I also don't understand why your your entire letter was written with a magazine cutout letters. But, yeah. You know, whatever. Interesting choices. Freedom. I have to say that we got so much mail. Mm. We get a lot of mail. Mm -hmm. Um, But we get so, because we have a lot of listeners and and a lot of dedicated listeners. Mm -hmm. We got so much mail. Talk talk your shit. If that, if, well, it's true. (laughs) (laughs) We got listeners. They listening. Got the headphones on. (laughs) Yeah. Got the beats. <laughs> so Got where it. are we going with this? Well, I mean, I, where are we going with this? I mean, can you believe, dear listeners, when I try to say nice things about you, these impatient <laughs> assholes are like, can we, can we talk about tax rates in uh, Albania? <laughs> Fuck off. I got so much. We got so much nice mail. And I, and I want to say that I haven't responded to any of it because, because, <laughs> because you I, won't. Know, I was watching movies. Yeah. Um, uh, but at least but, you've seen it. But yeah, yeah. I, my, my favorite thing is this has happened twice now uh, is that somebody wrote the nicest email about their child who um, is a type one diabetic mm. and recognized the honking foghorn <laughs> of my Dexcom, which measures my blood sugar, saying you're in dangerous territory, which you can usually tell either by the app or by the things that I'm saying, <laughs> which they get more insane. As well. But to that to that listener, uh, it was a very, very nice email. I really appreciate it. I sent it to a lot of people and I'm going to send you a, a, a nice note back, including so. including mom. I um, did. Yeah, actually. So there's a, <laughs> I'm not kidding. I know. Yeah, I know. I, I presume. Yeah. So there's a bunch of stuff we could do. Um, The national emergency stuff we haven't really talked about. Maybe we touch on that quickly. Um, I certainly want to talk about Venezuela because we we haven't talked about it in a couple of weeks and we were planning to. And then you weren't here one day in one hand. I wanted to wait until you were here. Um, but also a quick hit one on Richard Branson and, and Roger Waters, but continue. Yeah. Okay. okay. Let's go. Boots Riley. Yeah. Oh my God. Oh my God. My, my favorite person. So many things. Um, but also, uh, the new CNN hire, um, seems like something that perhaps mm. deserves a little bit of attention. Cause you guys know her, right? Somewhat connected to what she was a guest about. on the independence a few times. I don't, I would say I don't knows, remember her. Well, I, I didn't I, even remember that. I booked her and talked oh. to her a bunch of times during that, that period. Haven't really talked to her in recent years, but yes, when she was, uh, just an RNC operative. She would later go on to work for Carly Fiorina, then Jeff Sessions, uh, actually Mitt Romney at one point in between there. Mm-hmm. Um, and now she's uh, one of several political editors at CNN. Because the impression that you got reading Twitter that was that she was the political editor and, yes. and only one. Yeah, she, so she, That's wrong, supposedly, right? No, she supposedly will be one of the people uh, directing 2020 coverage and she will be not allowed to have anything to do with DOJ coverage. Okay, because that because she worked because of Jeff yeah. Sessions, yeah, yeah, and so the, so the idea was that you know there there uh, there was some s- s- kind of weirdly sourced story that she pledged loyalty to Trump in the Oval Office. 
this is a bit of a speculation, but it's it's because she was kind of actively hostile to Trump before the election, and she worked for perhaps the most maligned by Trump administration official, Jeff Sessions. Mm-hmm. Um, that she uh, perhaps perhaps that was what was motivating her and to pledge loyalty. With uh, you might have just said this, but she, she was with Cruz on the cam- on the twenty sixteen yeah, campaign. I didn't mention Cruz, but she yeah. she 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 went from uh, Fiorina to Cruz. Right. Okay. Yeah. What does that What does that mean that she pledged loyalty? I, I don't even know what it means. But it's, it's a phrase. Knows. It's, a, it's, it's it was a report. It was it was reported that uh, when she became session spokesman, that she pledged loyalty, and and that's being you know repeated ad nauseum as evidence that she's like some kind of Trump cultist. Perhaps she is. I don't know. Yeah, I haven't spoken possible, to her in years. Possible, yeah. But uh, the, the 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 I think the big thing is that she has no journalism background, so people are particularly outraged by that, especially given the recent bloodbaths in journalism. Feature not a bug. Sure. Again, neither here nor there. Uh, but uh, the, that the, the I think the idea is that there people are pissed off that uh, CNN is somehow kind of pivoting towards pro-Trump coverage, or they're trying to have a pro-Trump voice in the room. I don't know if any of that's true. CNN's seems they, to, ha- yeah. haven't they always done that with Jeffrey. Lord Jeffrey Lord used to be the and, guy, yeah. Uh, what's the but he was Kaylee not a, McInerney? He was not a political director. I think that's what's weird about yeah, it because they, they, yeah. they've even mentioned like hosts like Stephanopoulos, Tim Russert, Chris Matthews, Nicole Wallace. Like people come from politics without any journalism experience and then go into TV uh, commentary or even right. hosting. Right. But it's the editorial yes. part that I think people are a little weird about. It's quite clear that none of those people have any experience or expertise in anything. <laughs> but but <laughs> if, if her, if her why title is was r- coverage coordinator – so. Why is it wrong? Is it wrong because there's so many people in this job? No, I think that the the reasons why why it's wrong are are twofold. I mean, the the first is that apparently this person doesn't have sufficient journalistic experience, as we've we've pointed to before, some people raising issues about. But the second thing, um, I think, is what... Uh, like Wes Lowry um, and various other people we're talking about. And Wes is the you know award-winning journalist over at the Washington Post who's, uh, I, I think I could say, came to prominence as a result of some of the Ferguson, Ferguson. coverage yeah, that he sure. did. And he had, had that uh, cameo in the uh, Washington Post Super Bowl ad, actually. Oh, yeah. Yeah. He was featured in that. Nice guy. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, no, he's a nice guy. Um, actually, I don't even know if I've met him in person, but we I had have. some interactions on Twitter. Um, but at, at any rate, um, I think the the quote he had, which is from Twitter, which is also featured in a Washington Post editorial piece that I saw today, is let's build the industry and in parentheses and world that we want, not blindly accept current realities. Um, I'd like to I'd like a world where partisan <laughs> hacks aren't laundered into journalism yeah. via our news sense and pepper <laughs> <laughs> um, and we we actually had a bit of a back the and liner forth. notes of a strawberry alarm clock record <laughs> yeah. we had we this had a little bit of a back, and, a back yeah. and forth about this because I think that the, the perspective from them and this was yesterday it was around the time that CNN was kind of responding to a lot of this criticism and saying no 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 she's not going to have her hand on the wheel directing the course of all of the coverage but I think there was a lot of that supposition still baked into it and it and the sensibility was that this kind of political operative is a problem in the newsroom because all she's ever done is be a partisan hack who helps to advance the ball for this one team she's going to be covering this particular president a, a president she has a relationship with we can't trust her because she has loyalties there. Furthermore, however, and West specifically cites the fact that she defended policies like child separation on behalf of the White House. And because she did that while taking taxpayer dollars 
this is disqualifying because how can anyone watching CNN like actually respect their coverage when they think that policy that she defended was racist? Um, because nobody in CNN is going to reflect that coverage. What people are missing here is that you hire people like that for access too. is that CNN doesn't have a problem with access. I mean, you always have people doing hits inside the rotunda of the Capitol and just making some sort of banal points and walking away. Yeah, the White House keeps trying to throw out CNN people and they just come back. Yeah, they yeah, yeah. <laughs> can't keep them And, out. you know, maybe Jim Acosta's uh, pissed <laughs> them off so much that, like, let's hire a Trump person. But there is a strategy of hiring not just a smart conservative, but a conservative who I don't know her, I don't know if she's smart or not, mm-hmm. but who one who has very deep, close ties to both the administration, the former attorney general, various former um, presidential candidates and current senators senators, et cetera. There's some calculation there, but people are, you know, can't see that when they look down from their high horse and say that you shouldn't hire this person. I don't know anything about her. She could be mm-hmm. terrible. But I think that the arguments that I have heard, saw briefly today, and you guys have recapitulated, is that it's not strong enough to say, oh my God, the whole organization is, look, we see this all the time. Before Bill Crystal became woke Bill Crystal, he he was phoned in New York Times columnist Bill Crystal for a short period of time. <laughs> and everyone was like, this is the end of journalism. As they, they hired Brett Stevens was the same way. Oh, my God. A few other people that the Times hired that actually didn't make it through because the outrage was too strong. Um, you know, some that the outrage was very strong and they did make through from the left too. Sarah, what's her name? Um, I can't remember uh, the Asian woman yeah, who yeah. said the th- tweets about white people yeah. or whatever, but she made I'll, it through. Try to Sarah say the Jung. name, Sarah Jung. Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and so mm-hmm. it, you know, this happens with people who feel ownership of something. This is in a very, very specific point. Is that I worked at Newsweek and Niall Ferguson wrote a cover story. And Niall Ferguson is an academic. He's, he's written some very, very good books. Some I disagree with, some I agree with, uh, but he's also a conservative. He's a partisan, so he was tasked by Tina Brown to write the anti-case for for 2012. Not the case for Romney, but the case against Obama. And he did so. Now, Tina's one of the great editors and loves a mix. She loves a good mix of people brawling because it makes the magazine, the publication, interesting. I've never understood the people at bookstores who don't stock books from people they disagree with or run magazines where they don't have opinions of people they disagree with. She was never like that. So Niall Ferguson comes in and writes this cover story and it created a holy firestorm, right? And it was like, oh my God, I got all these facts wrong. And there's some of them were disputable. Some he did get wrong. They were just like, you know, we didn't have a, a very strenuous fact checking department at the time. Cuts, cuts, cuts. And I realized something talking, and I said this to Tina, I remember saying this to her and she agreed with me at the time, is that if Niall Ferguson wrote the exact same piece and it was read by the same sort of mandarins of journalism and government at the time in 2012, and it was for National Review, nobody would have said a thing. Nobody would have said a thing. No peep. But there was a sense that, that Newsweek, this storied, august institution in American politics, was not the place for this. So all of these people that write for the New York Times that are off the reservation are fine it's as racist, long as as long as they're not oh oh i didn't even think of that. Yeah. that that <laughs> it's about intent <laughs> that they would they would be fine if they're writing or being political directors of somewhere else but there's a collective ownership of cnn because it is not biased it is ours msnbc's left fox news is right mm-hmm. don't bring that stuff here but that stuff's already there 
but it's from an acceptable kind of position. So there is this kind of ownership and the sense that you cannot have these opinions and be that type of person in these institutions. It's fine if it's in your own. Well, there's I, I've got two things that I want to run by you guys. In my back and forth with uh, Larry, I, I was wonder. I one of the things I suggested to him was that I don't much care about this because even if she is dyed in the wool partisan who is a Trump loyalist. I don't know if there's a fundamental difference between having worked for the administration, accepted a check from them and defended them vociferously in the past or just having voted for them or planning to vote for them in the future or third, just in your secret heart being a straight down the ballot conservative, someone who will always vote in that direction and we just don't know it. And the fact is that you always have loyalties and there are always these biases. Everyone has them. Mm-hmm. I don't know what they are in some cases, but hiring someone who has them, I mean, okay, so what? Mm-hmm. Does it make sense for there to be any effort to try to preserve this ridiculous sensibility that people somehow in newsrooms don't have politics and aren't committed to these issues? Because I, I think I can just push to the side the the idea that she defended child separation policies that is wrong and therefore she can't work in the newsroom that is specifically an objection to this person because of her politics that doesn't work but generically the notion that you have politics and your politics are so explicit we can't have you in the newsroom because you're contaminating things or we can't have you sort of calling shots in the newsroom because then you'll really contaminate things No one is free of perspective in the newsroom, no matter how hard you try. Matt works in the newspaper. That's not an argument for for, for putting your bias all over everything, but it is an argument for being realistic about what the hell happens in newsrooms. Uh, Pop quiz. Who um, is Bill Moyers? Former LBJ uh, official who had a little homophobic streak and became a liberal hero on PBS. You see... This is what happens when you let libertarians. That's my praise of it. No, yeah. Bill Moyers, according to most of the people who are really pissed off about Sarah Isger Flores, um, is one of the lions of journalism. Yeah. He's uh, a respected voice. Um, you know, he's Dan Rather without the, the little problem of kerning. Back in the day. Southern accent yeah. thing. Um, yeah. Bill Moyers worked for LBJ. Uh, he worked uh, for his uh, re-election campaign in 1964. Um, it, it was his, was his official press uh, secretary uh, in in his administration, and like not just investigated people to see whether they're homos, like yeah. getting the FBI hmm. to investigate Jack Valenti mm-hmm. and other people. Not the uh, FBI. Don't besmirch the FBI. Yes, the FBI. He was Jack Valenti, the MPA. Yeah. His fingerprints were yeah. on some of the FBI's skullduggery with Martin Luther King. Mm-hmm. Um, and the, sui- has, the suicide package. And if you look at the people who criticize Bill Moyers, and some of the stuff has come out in papers that came out in 2009, 2010, around there, that point in time. Um, Bill Moyers is like, hugely respected, like top 25, like just g- receiving awards for being a lion of journalism over the years for PBS. I've been on a show. He's very nice to me. Thank you, Bill. Because um, you're, you're not Martin Luther King. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Camilo, you know get off a good one. It's literally <laughs> the only time everyone's, anyone's ever said it about Matt. It's, <laughs> it's because you're not Martin Luther King. <laughs> no one gave him crap. Uh, no one gave him crap for being a political thug. 
for almost 10 years. He just transitioned into journalism. I think Jack wrote a piece. Jack Schaefer wrote a Jack, piece. Who, yeah. who did? It was yeah. Jack Schaefer yeah. and Glenn Garvin. Yeah, exactly. What are their yeah, politics? Yeah, exactly. Weird, huh? Yeah, weird. How that works. And so this happens uh, again and again. You know, how many people work for the Obama administration uh, who just went straight from Time Magazine managing editor, Mark Whitaker, mm-hmm. Jake Carney from Time also. Can I also can say that, like, it's really frustrating when conservatives do this. Um, they've stopped doing it, but it used to be like a newsbusters thing that you would do is um, talk about George Stephanopoulos. George Stephanopoulos, it does a great job. He's really good. Yeah, he's yeah. really good. He's right down the middle. He's uh, like, yeah, I mean, he worked for Bill Clinton. He's in the war room. I mean, he is like instrumental to that entire Clinton era and the victory in 92. And when I see him on television, I don't think of him that way because he's had a number of years of doing pretty good journalism. You don't look, I think the best journalism uh, journalist writing on the Hill now is Robert Costa. Mm. Robert Costa used to work at national review. Mm -hmm. Uh, He's not a right wing hack. He's just a good, good journalist who, who that actually, he has good sources. And I know that this is true, that certain people will let you into their orbit on mainstream news organizations if you have that background. And it's like, okay, you couldn't be a complete crazy because I'm a you know right-wing congressman from Texas or something, and I know that you used to, used to work at NR, so come in, and he'll report it straight down the middle, but he'll have better access than anybody else because of that. And I don't think it's a handicap at all. It's the opposite, actually. It's actually, you know, an, an incredible advantage. The thing that some bothers like me, that have. Uh, and I noticed this when I worked at the LA Times, for example, they published at the time um, for, you know, the publishers would last like 12 months there. Um, so my second one in my 18-month stint was a guy named David Hiller, um, who was like a moderate Republican from Chicago, who at some point had clerked for a Republican-appointed uh, justice in the Supreme Court. I forget which one. Um and in every single bit of coverage about the L.A. Times during his tenure, especially as it had to do with my department, the opinion of pages, which reported to him instead of the editor in chief, it was always mentioned. Mm-hmm. Once yeah. clerked for a Republican appointed judge like it was so important. People yeah. notice it when you're sticking out. You stick out when you're Sarah Isger Flores mm-hmm. in a way that you don't stick out when you're Hendrick Hertzberg, mm-hmm. another lion of journalism. Who worked for Jimmy Carter. Yeah. Who worked for Jimmy Carter. Yeah. He co-wrote the Malay speech. Yeah. And mm-hmm. he had like the prime position at The New Yorker writing boringly about politics for about a thousand years as a direct result of this. But they don't notice this. And if they do, it's all, oh, that's fine. Chris Matthews, oh, it's fine. He worked for, you know, Tip O'Neill. It's, that's I will all say that, 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 that Hendrick Hertzberg, Rick Hertzberg, uh, did, did, did a, uh, write one thing that I thought was actually quite good and funny, that he made fun of uh, Bob Tyrrell, R. Emmett Tyrrell, uh, of American The American Spectator, Spectator yeah. who used, has this really f- uh, florid style um, that he referred to him as Chicken McMenken, which I thought was <laughs> that's pretty good. I think it was, I'm 90% sure it was Hertzberg, but it was like, I thought that was a funny, a funny little thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, look, it shouldn't preclude you from doing good journalism or being a straight journalist if you had an ideological background. I think what normally happens though is that the ideological background, it becomes the future, actually, is that you have it, you suppress it, you act like a normal journalist, and then you wash out of that. 
And then, you know, we talked about Jill Emerson the other day. She writes these thunderous anti-Trump things for The Guardian, which are incoherent and really crappy and totally phoned in. But she was the editor of The New York Times. She would never have done it at The Times. There used to be a writer at The Times named Barbara Crosette, who instantly got off the hook on the Iraq coverage because she wrote some stories about you know, Saddam's nukes too, as did Chris Hedges, by the way. Sure and, and Hedges became, was a, was a, was a, was a journalist there, became a fire breathing, hard left guy, really hard. He's on RT now. And he was a times journalist. Barbara Crosset went to the nation, right? There's a million of these things of people sort of matriculating into ideological journalism after they've been through the <laughs> ringer. Cause uh, to Camille's point, it, it, it's insane to pretend that you don't have politics when you're doing political coverage because you are animated by politics. You love mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And uh, you love it, but you have no opinion on it? Come. It's insane. Fuck on. It's ridiculous. Yeah. When I worked at the, uh, the, at the Times, occasionally we would have someone come over to our side from the newsroom, and they'd been covering news for 10 years. And, uh, and now suddenly they're, they're, they're in the opinion section. And it was amazing to watch hmm. those particular people yeah. um, because they're like – they some of them treated it as like okay cool we can drop all of the pretense mm -hmm. so it's like we can we can say that the activists are always right um we can use their language their vocabulary and talking <laughs> about everything um there is a great i don't know if it's still online but it's a sort of a deep you know dark web uh journalism uh thumbsuckery online stuff of michael kinsley who uh was the editor of the uh of the la times opinion section right before i got there very and short I, period of time very short period of time he did the wiki one right yeah he the did, wiki editorial. Wiki, he did Crazy, a lot of stuff yeah. and i i wrote so much like the you know to hell with him uh while he was the editor it's one of the reasons why i didn't work there until he left um he's uh, by the way i think i have an enormous amount of respect me, for him. you know what i never huge, did until he's a great I, writer too until i came in and yeah. i worked for the people that he hired and i also saw these memos some of which at that point still lived online and like go look for them he has these incredible like invigorating uh memos about the qualities of opinion journalism yeah. and that one of the essential characteristics of good opinion journalism is precisely being more fair, taking the best possible. It's what's your stupid thing that you steel like manning. steel manning yeah. uh, without using that, that phrase, <laughs> taking the best possible argument of your opponents uh, seriously. Mm -hmm. um, and then realizing that if you can overcome that and refute that, that that is far more persuasive than Absolutely. anything else. Yeah. Um, and it was this great uh, sort of primer of, of, of how we all should, I think, look at these things. Like, totally. Like if you, you should wake up in the morning, I think no matter what kind of journalist you are and be absolutely sweating blood over one thing. And this is one reason why Michael is so unproductive. Um, in, with, <laughs> yeah. And Camille, my God, like two of the least productive people in the world. Fuck you. With the written word, with the written word. It's totally true. Totally yeah, true. That's yeah. fine. For both of you. That's acceptable. Uh, but part of it, besides just your, you know, failures as men, yeah. Um, yeah. is yeah. that- That made you, me a baby. But yeah. you both take seriously- Me too, but yeah. I don't get to see that often. <laughs> the it's question- a joke. It's a joke. I know. 
what if I write something that is wrong? <laughs> yeah. No, that's I mean, trust me. I no, know. it's true. It takes time. I'm obsessed to be worried that. about that. Yeah. yeah, it takes a lot of time. It's true. And I think it should take even more time if you're doing opinion journalism. Agreed, I mean, yeah. the original kind of like new journalism thing, which originally inspired me to get into the stuff in the '60s and '70s, was a corrective against kind of mainstream kind of. Uh, straight-laced journalism. And part of that uh, was we can use our own biases, but we have to do this to try to get to uh, a more specific truth. I mean, read the first 50 pages of Hell's Angels, for fuck's sake, uh, Mm -hmm. by Hunter Thompson. It is a total refutation of every single thing that has been written about the Hell's Angels, including, I think it was the California State Attorney General's report or something like that, a long report about that. And he refuted it by his own on-the-ground reporting. It Mm -hmm. is a like a 75 page fact check, right? That's mm. what alt journalism was at the beginning. It wasn't like, um, we, you know, are, are, are not going to be biased. Like, no, we're totally biased, but we're more truthful and not just sort of like a, a, a novelistic truth. It's an actual truth in its highest ideal. And I think that's worth living up to Camille. I don't know how much, how much <laughs> more time we have, um, to go here and and the bottle is pretty much empty. Can we just finish this? Folks are a little drunk. <laughs> uh, honestly, little? no, the bottle, not the podcast. Yeah, well, yeah. here's my here's my concern. I wanted We're not drained yet. No, but I'm I'm a little drunk now and I, again, it just well, doesn't let, take let, much. I, I I'm let me do the talking. Well, good. I'll just well, ruin this my is, career. Well, this is the thing. Well, Don't, what I wanted to talk to you about is something drinks you, over your laptop. That's not it's, right. It's a fucking Chromebook. <laughs> 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 They're free. Easily replaced. It's cheaper than a uh, a phone really. Literally, yeah. yeah. I, spent, I spent more of that on the bodega, <laughs> but I, I wanted to chicharrones <laughs> and jewel pods. Um, <laughs> the national please, emergency. Please shit. make a T-shirt that says chicharrones and jewel pods. <laughs> <laughs> I bought fake jewel pods uh, yesterday, by the way. Oh really? C one hundred C S E A one hundred pods, and this is a. Are great... you afraid of that? Oh, no, 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 not at all. Because it could they, like blow up in your delicious. Mouth. No, no, it's not. Oh. That, that's just the juice. But it's an incredible thing about. Did you say that's, that's just the juice? Yeah, the, yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah, totally. We'll talk Got about it. it later. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a five percent. I've already quoted American Renaissance. Yeah, exactly. I know. Negatively. Negatively. No, not not negatively. I said I. You said it doesn't matter what they're. Well, that's true, but I don't like them. I said that. No, this is a great uh, this is a great example of like uh, of you know basic economics yeah. is that in the jewel world that you know they've taken all the flavored ones yeah off they, you can't they're not selling them in stores now and for 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 anyone who doesn't know we're talking is, about ju- your e-cigarette jewel is a little e-cigarette thing yeah and so they're very very popular with the kids apparently <laughs> and so they decided bubblegum flavor they decided the kids like flavors and adults don't <laughs> like, i love flavor <laughs> i go to a restaurant i'm like does this have flavor and they're like yeah i'm, like, I don't know, I'm not a kid <laughs> just give me the shit that doesn't have flavor so kids like flavor so the mango and all the shit has been taken off and so you can't buy it in stores now and and there's Wait, a sh- you're having mango cigarettes? I'm not talking about me. <laughs> stop and stop with and your yes. That's and yes. That's just not uh, that's not fact-checked <laughs> in the new journalism way. And so so they take these out of stores. And so you go into a place and you see in New York City, you see the mango ones and the other like flavory ones, like the fruit or whatever. It's, and they're like $35. They're like $15 on the web. They're 30 because there's a shortage of them in the store and people like buy them and they're desperate. And I always talk to the guys and they're like, yeah, yeah people buy them because they can't get them. And it's this, they created the shortage because kids and they were they're literally battling 
you know, Trump's awful FDA, by the way, which was mm. supposed to be good. It's awful. Mm-hmm. And they're like, on oh, this. Yeah. on this, horrible on this. And so there are, there is a thing, I think it's called, it's called C100, S-E-A-100 pods. And if you look at them online, they're the exact same box. It's like the most insane copyright infringement ever, but they're all over the place because they're like, fuck, we'll make them. You know, it's someone's always going to make them. And that's the idea of like, you cannot legislate this stuff away or regulate it into oblivion because there's a demand for it. So I went in there and the guy's like, yeah, they're $15. And I was like, oh, I'll try them. And so I bought a couple of them. Pretty good. I'm going to go back and buy some more of the bootleg ones because the FDA made sure that I can't get the actual ones. So a digression about how annoying this is. What? What the fuck? You That's good. McConaughey will star in that movie. <laughs> it's, it's good. I'm, I'm pitching it right now. So yeah. maybe, maybe Harvey very... Weinstein's going to make it. And I don't <laughs> know if he's the right guy for it. I don't think so. Uh, he's been yeah. emailing me. I don't th- 18 months. Well, you know. Um, so quick drive by here. Ross Dothat's piece in the Times this week about the national emergency, the Trump national emergency, um, is very much a fulfillment of my silver lining Trump prophecy pre is this episode 21 or what was yeah, the I don't know. I don't someone, know. Someone on Twitter, uh, it was like, uh, I think it was the malice episode that they said there, there was, was some, two. something there was malice episode and, and Buck Sexton. Yeah. And Buck Sexton somehow like, uh, we predicted. man, we couldn't get any yeah. guests back. Shots fired. But, um, come on, but no, the Dothat, the Dothat piece is about the, the national emergency. And perhaps you guys are too drunk for me to actually get a good answer from you. No, this is going to be the greatest answer. But no, this pronounced his last name, but go on. Yeah. Whatever. Um, it's a few shot, <laughs> but the um, <laughs> but the national emergency. He suggests here that the abuse of power, the Caesarism on the part of the president, um, is actually degrading the ability of future presidents, or at least is not enhancing the ability of future presidents to overreach from their position because you can't really cite. Donald Trump's ham-fisted attempt to circumvent the power of the purse that Congress has with this emergency order declaration because it's so absurd nah. and it is so likely to fail and it is so likely to to create ire on the part of politicians. I get, now, I, I said this fulfills my prophecy. It doesn't – and Ross is actually pretty – it's a pretty qualified sort of – Maybe the president is degrading the power of the office, kind of, sort of. And more, I think what he's saying more than anything else is when Obama does these things because he was respectable, when he took it upon himself to expand the power of the executive to accomplish specific things by doing stuff without Congress, he was respectable. So you could go further. Yes. Go further. That's true. Donald Trump is not respectable. Even some of his Republican counterparts are saying, yeah, this is not a good look, dude. Maybe that's a somewhat credible argument. Um, I think what's important, though, is not so much what other presidents think about this in the future or whether or not you can bring along the rest of the party. It's whether or not Americans are totally fed up with this bullshit and they say enough is enough. 
the president of the United States shouldn't be able to do a bunch of things unilaterally. There need to be constraints on the office. And I don't see that happening at all. And the reason why I don't suspect that's happening at all, particularly on the left, where you would expect to see the most outrage at sort of the the excesses of the Trump administration, is because Bernie Sanders is now the front runner for the Democratic nomination. And Bernie Sanders, along with the rest of the Democratic field, all have a pretty extraordinary vision for what government ought to do and by extension what the president of the United States ought to be able to do, which is a total refutation of what I suggested maybe the maybe possible silver lining of the Trump administration might be. The maybe possible silver lining was supposed to be the president will outrage people, he will overreach, and that will degrade the office, and maybe then voters will say, you know what? What we need to do is rein in the presidency. And instead, it seems the perspective is simply we just need someone else, maybe that really old guy from a couple of years ago who wanted to give us Medicare for all and free tuition. Mm-hmm. He's kind of the guy for the moment. I don't suspect it'll last for me to do the pro- political prognostication shit that I usually don't do. Um, but it does seem pretty meaningful that he is the front runner. And that for the most part, a lot of the ideas that he had been advancing during the campaign are now at the forefront of democratic politics. Take credit, Bernie. I mean, he won in so many ways. I mean, one of the interesting things about his speech announcing his candidacy was to see Bernie Sanders as a someone who celebrates American capitalism without really knowing it, because he was talking about wealth gaps and, 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 and these sorts of things have to be closed. And he said, America is the most financially successful, uh, wealthiest uh, country in the history of humankind, which is true. How did we get there? We didn't get there by doing Daniel Ortega impressions. And I think he knows that. So that was kind of interesting. Also, enormous amount of credit to Bernie for um, denouncing the Maduro regime. Um, doing that was something that the Bernie in the 1980s wouldn't have done. I can criticize Bernie for the thing that everyone loved about him in the past was that, you know, he's so consistent. Motherfucker, that's not good. If you've been doing politics since 1962 and you have not changed your mind, you, it's been you know, ossified in that way, calcified. Like, that's not good. Mm-hmm. It's not good. Because, you know, it's the old fake uh, Keynes quote of like, you know, the facts change, I change my mind. What do you do, sir? Mm. But, you know, I mean, that's that's something that I, I respect Bernie in some way for. But the other thing about this is actually a kind of adjunct thing that's not directly to your point, but I don't want to forget it, is um, the woman who throws binders full of women Amy Klobuchar, who's throwing things at people. <laughs> I assume that there's well some really interesting things in there. Yeah. But she was asked in a town hall, I think it was a CNN town hall, do you want to give um, four-year college to everybody? Yeah. The instinct to everyone is to say yes, because Americans don't understand politics. They don't understand economics. And it's, it's not like a, a knock on the American people. It's a hard thing to understand. Uh-huh. So to your point previously, by the way, is that I think that the American people tend to think exactly what Donald Trump did when he came into office. I don't think they know that Congress controls the purse of the government. I don't think no. there's, they think that pro, most people, I think think that Donald Trump can do this sort of thing without declaring an emergency. He can just, right. you know, snap his fingers. Yeah. They think the three chambers of government. Yeah. So are Mo, Larry and quote. yeah. Well, I mean, this is somebody, <laughs> by the way, this is somebody, uh, AOC who believes that $3 billion in tax cuts, which I disagree with in the beginning are, is actually existing money mm-hmm. in her tweet. I think it was a tweet where she said, you know, take that $3 billion and put it towards 
I'm sorry, but that doesn't exist. (laughs) These are tax breaks spread out over a number of years that they would pay on their earnings. It's not that there's $3 billion sitting in a slush fund. How on earth could you make that mistake? I guess we've kind of normalized mistakes because Donald Trump makes one every half a second. And they're even dumber than that. But, you know, to, to the to the kind of point, like Klobuchar, I thought that was like a a really, I don't know, again, they don't want to debase the word brave, but a brave thing to do. Sure. Considering it's an easy applause line. And Bernie got so many, I mean, people were like raising their hands at Bernie town halls. And they're like, can we all get Teslas full <laughs> of candy corn? And he's like, yes, of course. The candy corn is coming in the back. Of course. And it's like, what? What do you just fucking agree to? It's the right thing. It's like to everything. Do. It's, the, it's the right. What are we doing? <laughs> the Cubans do this. And it's like, what? And Clubber. Just shoulder hunching. Yeah, that's what you're doing. He, he commits what, to it. Do we yeah. get the video cameras? I get they're my all bunched up. They should. Be. I look like I have fucking scoliosis right now. <laughs> but that's that's. Uh, I give her credit for like not doing the not doing the easy thing. Yeah. Although she has some the, way. the centrist lane kind of. Yeah, take it. It's, it's somebody all, needs to take it's, it. Yeah, it's, it's her and Howard strategery. Schultz. Well, yeah. when Bernie Sanders like officially announced, I'm like, oh my god, thank God somebody's coming from the far left. On this. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I mean, who's gonna be like the next person's gonna be like Maduro's cousin. <laughs> Bill Maduro, who lives in like New Hampshire, he's like Jesus. I mean, get a broad Democratic field, and like she's the first person I've seen that's like okay, that's yeah. good. One thing that I was looking at um, uh, uh, recently, and I'll write about this uh, it, by the time this thing comes out, probably uh, is I, I followed Bill Weld, who announced uh, that he's going to uh, run against Donald Trump, at least in New Hampshire, as for, a Republican, as a Republican, mm-hmm. and so a lot of people are excited, like, oh my God, is it going to be the new Gene McCarthy? Well, crying in New Hampshire. <clears throat> uh, <laughs> there's a decent chance it might be the next Pete McCloskey. Um, <laughs> yeah, and that's go. a name that doesn't ring as many uh, uh, doorbells. Uh, Certainly not for me. But it's it a name. Mo- um, it's a name of of the guy who ran against Richard Nixon mm-hmm. in 1972 in New Hampshire. He was a liberal Republican from California. In this case, um, his big issue was being anti-war. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, and he was a Marine, like he served in, in Korea. He was, a uh, imp- impressive guy, played baseball, obviously being from California. Um, and, uh, and also, uh, had a rule of law kind of thing. Like Nixon's just obviously flouting, uh, mm-hmm. executive power and, and Watergate was starting, was just kind of starting to, to take off. Yeah. Right before the election is starting to take off. Um, but like there, there was some, before. there was some stink of it that was already, yeah, yeah, yeah. already happening in, in his approach to stuff. Um, uh, and so he, he goes against Nixon in New Hampshire, gets 20%, which is not nothing, but that it was kind of nothing. There was another guy from Ohio who was conservative. Um, and then there was Jack Anderson too in that election too. And right? Jack Anderson and some other people and, 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 but he bounces out, he becomes a bug on the windshield of Nixon Yeah, and kind of the last voice, uh, that you hear of anti-war on the right for a really, really long time. And then Nixon goes on to a 49-state, 23-point yeah. romp. Lost ag- Massachusetts. <laughs> against a super or perceived to be super liberal Democrat uh, presidential candidate here. And there are a lot of problems with the historical analogies. We don't have enough comps to like actually sort through it all. To look at it, one being that Bill Weld is from actually the Northeast, and so he might have more purchase in the New Hampshire media market. But it's something it, worth pausing if you are something that the four of us here are not, 
and a member of the Democratic Party. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm presuming no closet member of the Democratic Party here, um, <clears throat> or members of the Republican Party. Or, or yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, clear. Uh, and uh, and you're fired up about. I, I have been both things. I know it's fucking weird. I yeah, voted um, both things. Yeah. I'm saying, yeah, also guilty. Yeah. You never voted Republican. Am I the only person who never voted Republican? I, I don't know. I, I, don't know. I voted I'll, for Ron Paul. So, like for president? Yeah, in the primary. You wrote him in. Are you wrote him no, in? No, he was on the ballot. I voted for George W. Bush absentee ballot from California. Wow, in the primary. Wow, you are a moral monster. I am. I've I, 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 I done. Two thousand four was worse though. If you remember. <laughs> yeah. Uh, anyways, it's it's impossible. He, he voted for Bo Greitz. Look it up, kid. <laughs> it's it's brutal. <laughs> uh Anyways, it's it's possible that uh, that this kind of that we're overreading the leftward shift of the Democratic Party right now. Mm-hmm. I think they're overreading it. That's what I mean. Yeah, not, not yeah. me. Like they no, we, are. Yeah, they assume yeah. because I, Bernie was just it was just like two people running ultimately. Yeah, two yeah. people and Jim Webb and Martin O'Malley. So like like okay, Lincoln, the, Lincoln Chafee. Lincoln oh, Chafee yeah. is not a person. <laughs> yeah. uh, we all know that he's, he's a, a hologram. <laughs> yeah, uh, and it's so Frank like, Zappa and Lincoln Chafee. I really wonder. <laughs> I mean, there's definitely a, a bunch of energy there. I'm not going to deny that energy is super like economic. It's fifteen dollar minimum wage, free tuition, all the stuff that has now been mainstream, Green New Deal, like wouldn't have happened without Bernie. That It's reflective of a thing that exists in the world, for sure. Mm-hmm. But and give, I, by the way, give them a ton of credit for I it. I give him, and yeah. I wrote, wrote in the yeah, other no. times today, I gave him credit for that. Like, he won. So why are you running? Give him credit for that. I'm like, giving him any credit for that. Man. You give, like, child predators credit for how many kids they manage to molest. Speak <laughs> <laughs> for by yourself. Way, by the way, <laughs> you just compared Bernie Sanders to a child predator. Just yeah. Just so you know. Yeah. Okay, just uh-huh. so you know. Can you yep. respond in Bernie voice? Uh, I have never... <laughs> uh, listen, uh, I read... Small... Might have defended uh, Daniel Ortega, but never yeah. gone that yeah. far. Yeah, that's, that's the thing. I was going to say, I read this beautiful piece yeah. that talks about how people have been slain in the spirit. Quote some of the language. Oh, my yeah. God. Yeah. Slain in the spirit. In the, you know, slain in the spirit is a, a Pentecostal This is the thing. Slain, slain, yeah, is the, probably slain in the spirit right? is a phrase that I have never heard used in a context that wasn't explicitly evangelical. It took me. It's when back you lie on the floor the and you twitch and you. Yeah, someone yeah. someone te- touches you like or sort of Catholic. rests a hand I'm on your forehead Catholic, and yeah. you fall no, I mean, back. Like, yes, because theory. you're overwhelmed sure. by the Holy Ghost yeah. and you fall on the ground. I'm glad you like the and line. Michael Moynihan yeah. invokes yeah. that phraseology yeah. at the front end of this piece in the Daily Beast. From, from 2016, 16, I, think, I believe, yeah. 15, about, no recollection about of Bernie no Sanders, no where it. you challenge journalists so many drugs to talk <laughs> to Bernie Sanders about his horrible, disreputable history yeah. of having supported murderous, yeah. awful, monstrous dictators who have suppressed press freedom, who yeah, have yeah. impoverished their countries, and Bernie Sanders, who says... What? That bread lines are a sign of a prosperous economy. I was the one that dug that quote out, this by the way. motherfucker was, yeah. is crazy yeah. as shit. Well, he know, is the you know, worst, <laughs> the worst you know what element of American was? politics is not Donald Trump. It is Bernie Sanders. And I will say it here for you right now, folks. He said it. Right now. But you know why he Bernie said that, Bernie Sanders right? gets the Democratic oh. nomination. Yeah. I, I might get a MAGA tattoo. Whoa. I might. Yeah. I will vote for As Donald Trump. He's going to show up already. at the polls He's gonna and I will vote for Donald Trump. <laughs> Seriously. No, Jama- no Jamaican doubt about Contras. it. Yeah. It's bad news. 
And I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I agree with you guys. I think that the polling that I've seen on sort of the popularity of socialism amongst Democrats and the unpopularity of capitalism, when Hillary Clinton talks about the fact that she thinks her embrace of capitalism might have helped her lose the election. Dude, it I always, don't know. It always changes when you get into the specifics. When yeah, you get yeah, into yeah, the specifics, I hear you. socialism People and love capital. things until they you. hate them. And yeah, I'm just curious. Until I'm, they find out they have to pay for them. I don't know. I'm throwing it know. to the group. I mean, in 2016, I mean, I know like Bernie probably had to face a couple of questions about these past quotes. But never but no. never really like – no. up a little no. bit. No, yeah. no, no. Well, he's never, he's never really been the front runner. Mm-hmm. You've never had to do it. He's always been sort of this circus it would carnival be, act. To, it would to change the, to the point about breadlines, which he said his response was, "In some countries, people don't eat at all, so it's totally fine that they're waiting in line for food that will never exist." That was his defense of breadlines. <laughs> completely insane, by the way. But I mean, literally, like, what is wrong with you? That's nuts. But and you know, I'd love to see him talk if he was a front runner. What's happening in in, in um, Nicaragua right now is the same. Dictator is back, Daniel Ortega, and he's really turned the screws on the Nicaraguan people. And mm-hmm. three, four, or five hundred people have been killed in these uprisings against him. So bad that uh, Bianca Jagger, who is Nicaraguan <laughs> and was a big supporter of the Sandinistas, has been making the rounds denouncing Ortega and saying these people have to go. This is this is way too much. And so I would he's love to see. Bianca. I mean, if you lose Bianca, you've lost everything. Uh, that's what Mick told me. <laughs> Yeah. And he was, no. And yeah, <laughs> that's what you need the cameras. You the cameras. The finger wag. Yeah, it really Stop. sells it. Yeah. No. If you guys in podcast land could see what I was doing, oh, right you you'd love it. Marry your Mick with yeah. your Bernie. Oh, oh my God. No. no. Yeah. <laughs> too much. Yes. It's like, too much. It's I'm too waiting much. on the friend. <laughs> no, we're not doing that. We're not doing God that. damn it. We're leaving so much yeah. money on the table yes. right now. God. Yeah, come to my Patreon that I haven't set up yet. And in, in solidarity with Sam Harris, I'm going to get a Patreon. I think that's the way you do it, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, but the other, the other thing is that is that um, you, you talked about McCarthy in, in, in 72. McCloskey, and, whatever. Um, <laughs> did you, you, Pete McCloskey. But you're talking about Gene McCarthy. Too, no, McCloskey right? McCarthy, was the... Uh, Gene McCarthy is 68. I'm sorry, Gene I'm sorry. Gene 72. We're talking about... Uh, we're, we're <laughs> it's so true. Can we edit this out? We I have to stop. Uh, yeah, no, we Soon. don't. We do. <laughs> Let's edit that bit out. Our okay. threes could be fucking But the lit. thing is... the thing. <laughs> I know, this is like... Jesus. The Ben Hur of podcasts. <laughs> <laughs> you can start. You can start on that one. Yeah. Uh, but the thing about it is, is in '72, it's a funny thing to remember about this is that we we like overestimating whether people are like you know agree with the AOCs of the world or is it just kind of a media invention. Is that you know who writes the history? The victors? No, the losers do, especially in America, because it, what is every vision that you have of 1972 and the early seventies and 68 Hunter is exactly ex- what you, what you have yeah. is that paint of black comes Chicago, on and people of Chicago and you know, Dan Dan Daly, it, all this Mailer. stuff. And then in 1972, as you pointed out, Nixon, who is getting the whiff of scandal, but it's pretty big whiff at this point. You know, John Mitchell's machinations are pretty apparent at this point. 
72, he wins 49 states and loses one. Look at the polling about the Vietnam War. No one remembers the enormous protest here in New York City that was run by unions. It was an AFL-CIO, I think. It was a pro-Vietnam protest. It's like it's much more complicated. Vietnam was a disaster. It was a huge mistake. But never Richard Nixon ran against Vietnam. He ran as the peace candidate. In yeah, well, in '68. In '68. And then he ramped it up, and in 72, he said, well, I'm, I've done a lot to, to dial it down. But it's, a, it's an incredible thing. of how, the, the flattening and simplification of American history is this idea that the Americans were on the front line saying we can't send our boys over there. That is not true. They should have been that way, but they weren't. What's Camille doing? You on Snapchat? No, I'm on Paris. We're doing it live uh, for, for, for just a moment Michael, you last year, I mean, last year, for fuck's sake, last week when you were running the show, <laughs> uh, uh, yeah. you, 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 you demanded that we, yeah. uh, we come to the table bearing some idiots who wrote something. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. Who's got something? So we're going to well, wrap it up. I yeah. got something and it's kind of inspired go ahead, by yours. Um, yeah, go ahead. Uh, you know, I'm sort of sort of biting on your thing, but oh, uh, I, I feel I do feel authoritative doing this because I am a huge Pink Floyd fan, even yes. went on uh, the uh, Political Beats podcast oh. uh, with our friend Jeff Blair and Scott Bertram and was the uh, the Pink Floyd guest. So I, uh, I'm, you know, I, I adore the music, even the worst shit that they've put out. I've got certain things I can defend about it. And I've even seen Roger Waters' most recent uh, solo tour uh, at the Barclays Center. Uh, so I'm still I'm still a fan, mm-hmm. even though I totally recognize a great uh, deal of his politics are terrible and were terrible, mm-hmm. even way back when they were informing the songwriting that I love so much. But he's gotten to the point where he is a Assad apologist. Mm-hmm. He has uh, denounced the white helmets oh, sure. as propaganda. <laughs> yeah, of course. Uh, he has uh, gone on RT – now, that that stuff I'll 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 kind of leave for you to Google yourself. But what I'm more motivated by is his recent statements on Venezuela, where he says there is no murder, there is no mayhem, there is no apparent dictatorship, and he bases this on uh, extraordinarily confidently in a live stream that he posted to his Twitter account on. Friends of his who live in Caracas. Yes. All right. So he's yeah. he's doing his Yolen, friend is Nicholas Maduro doing Yolen's work there. <laughs> yeah. As far as you know, yeah. humanitarianism. Yeah. You know, like that. That you know, like it's pretty established that Venezuela is pretty close to a failed state, no matter where you are. On and this. the murder capital. Well, it's, of the it's, world. it's actually the murder capital of the world. Yeah. And yeah. the amazing thing about this is the reason I was turned on to this is not because I because I tweeted this. It's not because I follow Roger Waters and his dribbling idiocies on Twitter. Twitter as I tu- I tune Twitter Twitter Twitter. Oh no, that's another app I have. Don't Twitter. Totally yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a new one. Swipe left. Yeah. <laughs> no right. Um, <laughs> The, I was watching BTB, the Venezuelan state television, and between segments, they played this. Literally unaccompanied by anything else. Nothing led into it. Nothing led out of it. It was just Roger Waters talking about – like, so he's basically supri- supplying propaganda for the government of Venezuela. Incredible thing about it is to say that it's not a dictatorship is hilarious because, you know, it is. And, you know, uh, so many opposition figures from Leopoldo Lopez down – are, have been jailed, arrested, et cetera. That's typically what we call dictatorship. The funny thing, as you mentioned, though, is that it's not the, it's, there's no murder going on there. When I was there in Venezuela last time, I was 2011 or 12, maybe 12. And Chavez was still alive, and I spent time at the morgue 
in Caracas. There's one morgue in Caracas Ooh. and it, there's no air conditioning, wow. ventilation, or anything like that. So I hung out at the, at the morgue with a journalist from El Universal, which was taken over, by the way, by a government entity, some shell corporation that took it over. It was a reliably opposition newspaper. And I went with that guy, Davis was his name. And the reason I went was because the government stopped releasing numbers of the murdered in Caracas. So what they would do is they would go to the morgue and talk to people and count the bodies themselves. And the, and the original idea for the piece was counting bodies in Venezuela. And at the time, the official and unofficial tallies were somewhere around twenty to 22,000 people were murdered every year in Venezuela. And this was, you know, it's worse now. And this is a nation of, what, 40, 40 million people? In America, a nation of 330 at the time, 335 million people, we had 14,000 murders. So they had like almost 10,000 more murders and we had 300 million more people. And that is the situation there. It is terrifying. It is awful. And that's essentially what Chavismo has created. Mm -hmm. And these people are lying about. And it's astonishing to see the Baghdad Bob in all of these people and to see it's our version in miniature of how people defended the the show trials in the 30s. It actually is. It's the same instinct. And if you go back and read these people from George Bernard Shaw and the rest of it who were defending the show trials, it is, I mean, you have to turn yourself into knots and pretzels to say that this isn't real and it's not happening. You work your way backwards from <clears throat> the government that I don't like is on the opposite mm -hmm. side mm -hmm. of a smaller country. Yeah. I, 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 in this podcast, before this recent uprising happened, I said something very specific. And I said that Donald Trump is harming the cause of Venezuelan freedom by speaking out against it in such a belligerent way. And it just gives ammunition to the regime. It has gone so much further when I first said that, that if you watch regime television propaganda and here, Nicolas Maduro, it's all they talk about is what Trump or Bolton said that day. And it inspires people in some way. Good kill. Well, um, <clears throat> no, uh, I, I was mentioning something to Fisher. Camille um, and Fisher, like just for you listeners at home, we're like showing each other porn on the yeah. other side of the table. Yeah, here. Michael and I are like, well, it's, it's really it's, sick, and we don't want to like porn of a, it's porn scandalize of you guys. Yeah. It's porn of a sort. Because you can cut that out. I'll just say this Matt Welch and I know how to drink. Yes. That's there true. are other people in the room who don't. <laughs> wow. So, wow. Exactly. Anthony's <laughs> Okay. So I'll do my idiot wrote this and then um, the people who are listening. I also have it. This I also have it. Show wow. uh, the series length, <laughs> not the actual show. Uh, the sorrow and the pity. The sorrow and the pity length. Uh, is somebody named Casey Newton. Mm. who does social networks plus democracy at Verge, oh, God. which means not, absolutely nothing. Sorry. That's uh, New York media? Yeah, I mean, this is insane. I don't know what that means. Um, so there's something called Squad that is some um, app for young girls. Social screen sharing is what it means. So they do updates in their their uh, you know app, right? So you go in, you update your app automatically or whatever. And so in the new updates, it says chat fix. Pictures weren't always loading, but now they do start a chat and send a picture to try it out. So it's saying what the bug fix is in 1.005 of this. It's like Jill Abramson's book. It's a new version of it. And uh, it, it, underneath it, they have an inspirational quote. 
but it's mostly for young girls. And the woman who is the CEO says, I try to pick quotes from women to make young girls. This one from today said, I had no idea that history was being made. I was just tired of giving up Rosa Parks. It's a good quote. And um, Casey Newton, who has some sort of pompadour. I mean, that's a bad haircut. It's a douche bro. Sorry. And I don't know what it is. It's, you know, it's like Depeche Mode meets, uh, I was going to say. uh, (laughs) When you said the name, I didn't even assume a male. Yeah. It's it's a male with a pompadour. So Casey Newton writes in response to this, Rosa Parks Mm -hmm. did way too much for this country for you to (laughs) quote her in your bug, bug fix release. And then a journalist who I respect, Yashar Ali, writes Jesus, <laughs> right? And then and then a bunch of people pile on some blue check mark. People say, "What in the actual fuck?" Taylor Lorenz from the Daily Beast, who's the Atlantic um, now. Oh God, her 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 brain wattage is lighting up DC now. Oh my God, she says. Oh my God. So here's the thing. This is a reaction to the original. Yes. This is how crazy we've gone. Is that some white guy, white guy, by the way, objects to a woman (laughs) quoting Rosa Parks in her bug fix, which she does every time, does a bunch of quotes of of, uh, women and, 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 you know, you know, it'll be like a Nelson Mandela quote or something. It's just inspirational stuff, right? That, that that's not appropriate. It's not appropriate to do that. And everyone piles on. It's like, I can't believe you did that. I don't even know what it means, but it just means that everyone's gone fucking nuts. It's insane. It's, it's insane. insane. She's she's too wonderful for you to quote her. Yes, exactly. People, it's insane. There's it's insane. a market it's for, insane. It's totally ah! no, yeah. for racialist conflict. There's yes, a market there for is. it. People totally want is. it. Yeah, yeah. We see it. it. We see yeah. it right here. Yeah. That depressed me because I – and the woman def- – by the way, a big props to the woman who wrote that and the CEO of the company who came out swinging and said, you guys are idiots. So good for her. Some idiot tweeted this. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Are we finished? Yes. Yeah, I think All so. Right. As a podcast, we're, we're so finished. <laughs> this is the yeah, last episode. The last, this is the last episode of the fifth column. Episode finished. Episode Bye. finished. Bye. 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 We know of new methods of attack. The Trojan Hawk. The fifth column. that this did not happen to. Mm. I am forever changed.